are on air for Fan for Racing's NASCAR Race Review with Hot Topic Sound Off. And tonight we are reviewing the Richmond races as well as the Arca Menard Series and the Arca East at Toledo Speedway. So in our first half hour, we will review the Arca Menard Series along with the Arca East in Toledo, along with the Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series at Richmond. In the second half hour, we will review both Xfinity Series races as well as the Cup Series race at Darlington. At uh, 9.30, we will have our Hot Topic sound off with our Fan for Racing crew, and it sounds like we'll have a full house again tonight uh, with uh, some Hot Topics to discuss. That's always a lively hour, and uh, definitely looking forward to that. Now, joining uh, me tonight as co-host is going to be Jay Huseman, and uh, he and I are going to get into our review uh, as soon as possible here. So, um, so I'm just sending him a quick message here to make sure he remembers uh, that we have the show at this time. And uh, we, I'm going to go ahead and get started on the Arca Menard Series in the Arca East. Uh, there's going to be a couple of these kinds of races. Uh, we've already seen a couple, but there's going to be a couple more, uh, where the Arca Menard Series and the Arca East are running simultaneously. And, uh, you know, there's a big battles going on between Sam Mayer and Ty Gibbs in the Arca East and then between Brett Holmes and Michael Self in the Arkham Menard series. So uh, it's kind of a big deal that they're doing this because you've got two different kinds of battles going on on the track. Uh, Jay, how are you doing? All right. How are we doing tonight? <laughs> I'm doing all right. Uh, just getting into the Arkham Menard series review and uh, just uh, – uh, was talking about how uh, there's a couple of these races where the Arkham Menard Series and the East are running together, and the points are tight uh, between Sam Mayer and Ty Gibbs in the East, and then between Michael Self and Brett Holmes in the Arkham Menard Series. But some of that has changed after Toledo. So uh, pretty big day out at Toledo this weekend. Uh, they're doubled. The only problem is, in talking about the Arca Menards main series, it went from Michael Self being up a point to down two. So it was a three-point swing. If you're just looking at the number, it doubled, but there was a swap in there as well. Exactly. And Sam Mayer won the race. Uh, that counts as a win for the Arca Menards series east uh, for another win for him. Uh, he's only 17 years old from Franklin, Wisconsin, and he had a near-perfect day Saturday. He, won, he, he paced the field in practice. He took the pole, and then um, uh, at the 200-mile track, uh, I'm sorry, uh, in the 200-lap uh, race at the half-mile track, uh, he came up with his third straight win at Toledo. So uh, it was a big day for Mayer. Uh, he extended his series points lead, Jay. 
Well, and we talked about that on the preview show. Uh, the season he is having to go join up, as you said, East Race and the Arca Menards Main Series, and, and for him to come in there and not only take that win, but add to, as you mentioned, his East Series uh, lead. Again, look at Ty Gibbs' record in four races, one win, three top fives, three top tens, and that still put him 21 points behind Mayer, who has four top three of them being wins in all four races. Yeah, it, it really is amazing. Uh, let's go over the results of this race because uh, uh, you mentioned uh, Sam Mayer winning that race for GMS Racing, uh, it finishing first. Uh, Chandler Smith from the B- Venturini Motorsports, uh, he actually finished in second place. Uh, in that 20 car for Venturini. Todd Gibbs, uh, Sam Mayer's closest competitor in the East, finished in third place. He did win one of the races at Toledo, uh, but it was Sam Mayer coming up with his third victory in four races there. So uh, Ty Gibbs in third. Uh, in fourth place was Brett Holmes. He's the guy who uh, was second to Michael Self, the series points leader, coming into this race and now uh, takes over that lead by just two points. And in fifth place was Taylor Gray in the number 17 car for DGR Crossley. So uh, there are your top five. Do you want to go over the next five, Jay? All right. Well, there you go. We talked about uh, Haley Deegan, again, uh, showing some real good uh, finishes here, in the, especially in the last couple of weeks, finishing sixth in the number four for David Gillen. Then you had the points leader, Michael Self, again, eighth, or uh, sorry, seventh place finish, and actually only four spots behind Brett Holmes, but that's enough to swap those points that we talked about. Ninth place, mm-hmm. Parker Retzlaff from the East, running for the East Series points, but in this race here, um, the 25E of Mason Diaz, and then rounding out the top 10 for Max Siegel and Rev Racing, the number six of Nick Sanchez. Okay, so uh, that was the finishing order. There were 19 cars entered in this race. A few of the drivers did have some problems. Uh, Rick Clifton had a brake issue. Owen Smith uh, had an electrical problem. Uh, Brad Smith had some overheating with his car. And uh, Chase Cabray and Drew Dollar uh, both had crashes. So uh, those are the only drivers that did not finish the race. Uh, but all the other drivers, uh, 14 drivers, uh, did finish the race uh, running. So uh, that was pretty good. When we talked about that battle as well, uh, you mentioned Drew Dollar, unfortunately, being involved in an accident. Haley Deegan with a top 10 run. That separated that points battle. I know that one was only a few points as well, is now 13 points, as Haley Deegan is at, uh, excuse me, uh, 699 drew dollar at 686 so separated herself from him by 13 points that was another position battle we had been watching which had been close all year exactly there were only two lead changes in this race uh the there were four cautions for 28 laps and the margin of victory jay was pretty significant Three seconds point oh seven one, so that's uh, that was a significant uh, lead for Sam Mayer at the finish line. 
Let's go over the series, since you're in the uh, Arkham Menard series there, let's go over the series point standings for the Arkham Menard series. All right, we mentioned Brett Holmes again, retaking that points lead, not by a lot, 748. Michael Self at 746, so it's minus two. Haley Deegan now into the third spot, minus 49 overall, but as I mentioned, stretched out over Drew Dollar, who's at 686 at 62 back. Those four drivers have made all 15 races of the Arkham Menard Series schedule. Now, Thad Moffat only has 12 starts, but is in the fifth spot at 499. It does put him at 249 back. Do you want me to run through 6th through 10th? Yeah, you can do that. I'll I'll do the next one. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, Brad Smith now does have 14 starts. Again, we unfortunately talked about his uh, accident or uh, overheating as well this weekend. So he's at 481, 267 back. Get into drivers that have had good se- uh, seasons. Ty Gibbs, 11 starts, but four of them wins. He's at 470, 278 back. Sam Mayer, same boat. 11 starts, four wins at minus 285. And you have Chandler Smith and Mike Basham in ninth and 10th, and they've only made 10 starts. Chandler Smith having two wins, 333 points back, and Mike Basham, very solid week in and week out, is sitting in that 10th spot at 331 points. Okay. Now we'll kind of cover the ARCA East. I'm sorry, I just lost my place there. Uh, We'll cover the points for the ARCA East. Uh, because, uh, as we mentioned, these guys were running for points as well. Sam Mayer, the winner, now has that 21-point lead over Ty Gibbs. Parker Retzlaff takes over the third place, 41 points back. Uh, he And uh, Nick Sanchez uh, has fourth place at 46 points back, so he's just five points behind Parker Retzlaff. In fifth place is Chase Cabray. He's just two points behind his teammate, Nick Sanchez. And then to round out the top ten, you have Mason Diaz, 54 points uh, back from the leader. Uh, Justin Carroll at 63 points back. Now, those are the only drivers that have run all four races at the Arkham Art Series East. Uh, the next set of drivers have run three of those races. Uh, that includes Taylor Gray in eighth and Max McLaughlin, uh, and then Bob Pawlowski uh, rounds out the top ten. Again, those drivers have three races in the books. Uh, Taylor 77 points back, Max McLaughlin 81 points back, and Bob Pawlowski at 102 points back. So uh, pretty interesting scenarios here uh, for the ARCA East. Uh, they're going to, you're going to see an acceleration in their schedule over the uh, next month or so as they kind of catch up with their season uh, due to the COVID pandemic. And over this past week, I think it was after our Thursday night preview. So well, I'm sure we'll hit on that on Thursday night that they have announced the plans for the rest of the Arkham Menards and Arkham Menards G series schedule. We're going to see a couple of more of these combination events and i use the word combination because it'll be the east and the arca menard series uh as they try to the east series tries to catch up on a few races yes indeed now the most uh 
the most the next races in the books for uh, all of the series includes this weekend September the 17th for the Bush Beans 200. Uh, what's interesting about this race is it's going to involve the Arkham and Art Series. It's going to involve the Arca East, but it's also going to be a Sioux Cheap Showdown event as well. So you've got three competitions going on all within that one race that's taking place on the 17th uh, at uh, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So uh, they will be televised on Fox Sports 1, so you'll definitely want to mark this one on your calendar at Bristol Motor Speedway. Most certainly. Uh, that, that's what you call a triple header, and that's why I wanted to be clear on the combination, what I was calling a combination. I know we used to call the East and West combination rent races. This year with the Sioux Chief Showdown, that involves eligibility for all three um, a little bit different. So this weekend will be in all three, but we're going to see a couple more of the East and Arkham Menard series run together that are just the combination of the two of them. Yes, indeed. Uh, now for the West, their next race is taking place on September the 26th at 3 p.m. Pacific time, which would be 6 p.m. Eastern time. That's going to be at the Bull Ring at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. So uh, look for that uh, General Tire 150 to take place on September the 26th for the Arkham and Art Series West. Most certainly will. Uh, I know we don't have quite have the time to cover a whole lot on them as uh, they didn't run this weekend, but we certainly will on the upcoming preview shows. Yes, indeed. Uh, I know we're about a minute ahead here, but I'm going to go ahead and get right into the Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series. Uh, They ran this weekend. uh, Actually, they ran on Thursday night uh, last weekend, which is why we put together a podcast uh, for our uh, preview show. And uh, the race winner was Grant Infinger, for the first annual Toyota Care 250 at Richmond Raceway. At age 35 in the number 98 champion curb records Ford for Thorsport Racing with his crew chief, Jeff Hensley. It was his fifth victory in 99 NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series races. This is his third victory and ninth top ten finish this year, the first victory and first top ten finish in his series track debut at Richmond Raceway, so that was pretty cool. Now, Matt Crafton finished second, posting his second top ten finish in six races at Richmond. It's also his ninth top ten finish this year. Ben Rhodes finished third, posting his first top ten finish in his series track debut at Richmond. And Zane Smith, who finished 11th, is the highest finishing rookie. Now, Austin Hill clinched the regular season uh, NASCAR RV and Outdoor Truck Series championship. So uh, he is the regular season champion uh, as that was their season finale, their next race at Bristol will be the first race of their playoff. Tyler Ankrum and Todd Gilliland have both clinched the last two spots in the Gander Truck Series playoffs. So let me round out the uh, top five here. I mean, the top ten. Uh, we mentioned uh, Brett Holmes 
finished in fourth. Tyler Ankrum rounds out the top five. And then Cody Rohrbaugh, David Reagan, Austin Hill, Timmy Hill. <laughs> That's kind of ironic that the Hills finished back-to-back there. And Stuart Friesen round out the top ten. So uh, it was a pretty interesting race. Uh, I really had a good time watching that one. Well, that I, that I like to see. First off, Grant Infringer getting the win. Like to see a driver get a win no matter who they are. He had been kind of uh, quiet, if you will, since his uh, previous two wins earlier in the season. So no better time to gain momentum than right before going into the playoffs. The exactly. other thing. Um, you know, he bookended. He won the season opener at Daytona and and the season finale at Richmond. So he pretty much bookmarked the season with those two victories. I hadn't thought about it from that point. So you're right. That's uh, definitely uh, – and he did pick up another win there in the middle. Like I said, felt mm-hmm. like he'd been kind of quiet as of recent. But, uh, again, going into the playoffs, no better time than to start winning than right at entering the playoffs. Exactly. The, um, the other thing I hear I like, I really liked about this season finale here for the Gander Outdoors Truck Series. Talk about the regular season champion. I know it was uh, pretty much a lock, but it didn't wasn't mathematically complete until the end of that race. The fact that that was determined, as well as the final two playoff spots. We had a lot of things that could have changed. Came out kind of the way we projected. Um, Mm -hmm. when we did our preview show, but there certainly were a a lot of different things that could have gone different ways in this race that really could have changed that that whole entire playoff look for the truck series. Exactly right. It it always uh, makes it interesting to watch in that season finale on who's on top and who's who's below that cut line, and uh, it changes throughout the race. So it's always fun to see how it ends up at the end. Okay, now uh, the number 21 of Zane Smith, he won the first stage. Uh, Ben Rhodes won the second stage, and, of course, Grant Infinger won that all-important third stage for the race victory. The margin of victory was 1.033 seconds. There were four caution flags for 37 laps, eight lead changes among just six drivers, and... uh, uh, again, this was such a fun race to watch, but uh, let's let's kind of go over the points as they uh, line up as and get ready for this next uh, first race in the in the round of twelve. All right. Well, again, fans aren't familiar. First off, we're going to talk about ten drivers that enter into the Truck Series Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series uh, Championship Playoffs. They start at those 10 drivers reset at 2,000 points and then have their uh, playoff points that they have been building throughout the year. So starting at the top, Sheldon Creed is now your points leader, even though we just talked about, excuse me, Austin Hill picking up that regular season championship. He got some bonus points for that, but Sheldon Creed, with what he's built up, is going to start at 2,026 and Austin Hill are tied for second at 2022. Fourth place now with that third win, Grant Enfinger built up to 2019, Brett Moffat at 2015, Ben Rhodes at 2014, Matt Crafton at 
20 or a 2009 Christian Eckes at 2005 and Todd Gillen at 2003. Oh, we got one more Tyler Ankrum at 2002. So every driver I entering could, the playoffs had a little, little bit of playoff. I called points. it the round uh, of 12. It's the round of 10. I, I apologize. Yeah, that's what each series is a little bit different. The truck series here, we got 10. The Xfinity, uh, we have 12. And then in the cup, we have 16. So with that, the truck series, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they eliminate two each round, right? Two every three races, mm-hmm. 10 down mm-hmm. to eight. Actually, I don't, how are they doing that this year? Two down to eight, two down to six. I'm going well, to have to double check on that. It might be three. Three and three would be You're right. It's going to have to be three every three races because that's been a change. Last year it was only eight and it was two by two. This year it will have to be three being that they added two drivers, one extra one each round. So looking at that uh, 10th, 9th, and 8th right now would be Tyler Ankrum, Todd Gillen, and Christian Eckes um, are the three that are technically going to be below the cutoff line as it is right now uh, when they enter and their first the, race here coming up. And they're the only drivers in single digits for playoff points. So you can see how important those playoff points are. And that's right, as well as with the exception of Brett Moffitt, who, again, has had a very solid season, just hasn't been winning. Moffitt in fifth uh, doesn't have a win, but then you have Ben Rhodes and Matt Crafton behind him that do those bottom three are the three, and that's where those playoff points get built up to begin with, but they are the three mm-hmm. that haven't won yet either. So, again, that's going to come into play. That's what part of the focus of this playoff system was. You're still encouraging winning. The bonus points for your uh, stages, they, they want to show the consistency. If you are running good throughout a race but have a bad finish, you're not completely out of it. But winning is still very, very important. Yes, indeed. And not just winning the race, but winning those uh, stage points as well uh, can really add up. So, uh, you know, you've got Sheldon Creed with 26 playoff points. Uh, Zane Smith and Austin Hill are tied at 22. Grant Infinger has 19 playoff points. Brett Moffat, 15. And Ben Rhodes, 14. Uh, The guys at the bottom here, Matt Crafton with nine, Christian Eckes with five, Todd Gilliland with three, and Tyler Ankrum with just two playoff points. So uh, the, the, these next uh, couple of races are going to be really important for these guys, and it starts at Bristol. It most certainly does. Uh, as you mentioned there, even in the three that, that we didn't talk about on underneath the line of what will be the cut line, you're talking a two-point difference and then a one-point difference. So, again, as we get to the, after the next three races and that first round of elimination, those one points for winning stages, uh, one position on the track, uh, could make a huge difference. Absolutely. Okay, Jay, um, uh, I'm going to go ahead and get into the Xfinity Series because we do have two races uh, to cover with the Xfinity Series. So, uh, I'm going to use this extra time uh, to help us in that category. Uh, now, in this race, it was Justin Algauer winning both of the 
uh, races. They did have a doubleheader this weekend at Richmond. Justin Algauer at the age of 34 in the number seven filter time Chevrolet for Junior Motorsports with his crew chief, Jason Burdett. It was his 13th victory in 330 Xfinity Series races, his second victory and 13th top 10 finish in this year. It was his first victory and ninth top 10 finish in 19 races at Richmond. Justin Haley finished second, posting his second top 10 finish in three races at Richmond, and it is his 15th top 10 finish this year. Kyle Busch finished third, posting his 20th top 10 in 23 races at Richmond. Now, Riley Earps finished 10th. He was the highest finishing rookie. Uh, And of note that this is the fourth victory for Junior Motorsports at Richmond Raceway in the Xfinity Series. They've won at that track in 2014, 15, 16, and now in 2020. It was Chevrolet's 26th victory at Richmond Raceway in the Xfinity Series, which is the series most. Now I'll go ahead and complete the top ten here. Uh, after Kyle Busch in third, it is Austin Sindrick finishing in fourth and Ross Chastain rounding out the top five. The next five drivers are Brett Moffat, Michael Annette, Noah Gregson, Kaz Growla, and Riley Erbst, the rookie, as the highest finishing rookie. So your thoughts there, Jay? Well, at, uh, again, he's had a, a decent season, Justin Algar, uh, but, again, had some rough spots to come out, not only get a victory, but two of them, building up those points. He was going to go into the playoffs already. Now, though, right now, getting hot at this time of the year, no better time to do so. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's a good time for him to be peaking, and I think that momentum is going to carry him a long way into the playoffs. Now, the 22 of Austin Sindrick, uh, he won the first stage. Uh, Justin Algauer won that second stage, and, of course, the third stage. His margin of victory was a lot closer than it was in the truck series, .604 seconds uh, to second place. There were five caution flags over 31 laps and uh, 10 lead changes among six drivers in this particular race. Now, we won't uh, do the points just yet. Uh, We'll do that after we do the second race. Uh, Do you want to do the uh, top ten there, Jay? All right. From race number two, whoops, other page. Race number two, as mentioned, Justin Algar. Still at the top of the list in that Brant Chevrolet Junior Motorsports. Second place, though, a heck of a run, especially after the uh, Friday night had an incident. The number eight of Junior Motorsports being driven by Jeb Burton. Third place, Ross Chastain. Are you going to – Are you? wait, 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 wait. wait. Are you going to go over okay. the uh, stats there, <laughs> the race winner stats? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I thought you wanted – okay. Let me scroll down to that here. <laughs> All right, Justin Algar, age 34, number seven, Brant Chevrolet, in for Junior Motorsports with crew chief Jason Burdett. Now, that was the fourth annual Virginia is for Racing Lovers 250, his 14th victory in 331 Xfinity Series races. This is his third victory and 14th top 10 in 2020. 
second victory and 10th top 10 finish in 20 races at Richmond Raceway and becomes the second driver in series history to win consecutive races on consecutive days at the same track, uh, joining Austin Sindrick at Kentucky in 2020. So some new records uh, to put in the history book there as the 2020 season that we've had to do what we've done. Uh, Jeb Burton mentioned second, posted his first top 10 finish in five races at Richmond Raceway, and it's his fourth top 10 finish in 2020. Posted his third top 10 finishes in just 11 races at Richmond Raceway, and Harrison Burton, who was fourth, was the highest finishing rookie. And to add to the stats, this is the fifth victory for Junior Motorsports at Richmond Raceway in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Uh, coming in 2014, 15, 16, and now the 2020 sweep. And then Chevrolet is now 27th victory at Richmond Raceway, again, here in the Xfinity Series, which is the series most. Okay, and then finishing right. up the top 10. Now, now get back up to the uh, rundown there. Uh, mentioned Harrison Burton there, a highest for finishing rookie in the, in the fourth. Fifth went to Noah Gregston in the nine junior motorsports machine. Second the night before, six here, a, a Justin Haley in the number 11. Seventh was Michael Annette, another junior motorsports machine. Then you had Brandon Jones, Kaz Gralla in a good run there in the number 21 for mm-hmm. Richard Childress in ninth. And rounding out your top 10, the number 22 of Austin Sindrick. Okay. Uh, yeah, these guys uh, put on a really good show. Uh, one thing I did notice is that uh, these races were a little bit tamer uh, than we kind of expect at Richmond. Normally, Richmond, uh, the, it's short track racing, so you expect a lot of bumping and banging. Uh, but these guys uh, really showed the, some finesse on that track, and uh, it, it really... Uh, ran very smoothly. It was uh, Justin Algauer winning the first stage. Ross Castain won the second cha- stage. And a little bit bigger victory this this uh, race with a 2.185 second uh, gap between first and second. There were five caution flags for 29 laps. And uh, there's only, I think, one incident, oh, two incidents there. Uh, most of the caution flags were for, uh, you know, the stage breaks and, and the competition caution. Uh, nine lead changes among just six drivers, and uh, that that's kind of amazing yeah. as well. So uh, let's go ahead and do the points, Jay. Did I lose Jay? I did lose Jay. Okay, I guess I'll go over the points here. Uh, the points for the Xfinity Series after the Virginia is for lo- is for racing lovers. Uh, Austin Sindrick has the series points lead. Here's Jay. Okay, Jay. All right, we we'll lost chalk that. We'll chalk that one up to 2020 as well. I guess my phone just hung up on me <laughs> for no reason. Oh dear. Uh, so, do you want to do the points then? I just mentioned Austin Sindrick. All right. I think I had that set. Yep, there we go. Okay. Sindrick uh, does have quite the gap here with one race remaining before they are reseeded. He does have a 71-point lead over Chase Briscoe, 
But once they get reseeded, it'll go by playoff points, and I'll cover that in just a second. Uh, Ross Chastain in the third spot at minus 74. Noah Gregson, 132 back. Justin Haley at minus 206. Algar at 219, sliding into the sixth position now, picking up that second and third win of the season. Seventh uh, is Harrison Burton, your top uh, finishing rookie, as well as leading the rookie points. Michael Annette in eighth. Brandon Jones, ninth. And of the other rookie here in the Xfinity Series, right now in the playoffs, is Riley Herbst. Your final two uh, for the playoff cut line, 11th and 12th is Ryan Sieg and Brandon Brown. Now, as I read them, that was as their points are right now. There will be a little bit of a shuffle here. Again, we do have one race remaining here that will get added, as well as the final uh, point standings, uh, having the regular season champion get 15 bonus points, second 10, and then on back. But right now it would be Austin Sendrick and Chase Briscoe actually tied both with 35 playoff points. Justin Algar now, currently sitting six in overall, would slide up to the third position with 25 of those playoff points build up to add into his total. Then it would be Noah Gregston with 18, Brandon Jones at 17, and it looks like Justin Haley at 13. Then we get into Harrison Burton has 10, and then a couple with single dig, excuse me, single digit points so not having it all laid out right now though i will say again justin uh, algar looks like he'll move from six up to about third ross Jastain, who's in third but only has two playoff points could drop about five six positions these other drivers have built up playoff points and Chastain has not so that's going to be quite interesting in and of itself there's going to be a little bit of shuffling there in the 12 the way they line up the first round of their playoffs which will come what is it following bristol we got bristol to run yet las vegas is where they will start their playoffs yeah now ryan sieg actually is going to go the other way he's right now ranked 11th but with the reseeding he's going to bounce up a few spots he'll bounce ahead of those guys that have zero playoff points that's right. Right now, as it stands, he would go ahead of Michael Annette, uh, Riley Herbst, and then possibly tied with Ross, Jane, Ross Chastain. So there you're looking at him possibly gaining three or more spots. So, again, that's how important those playoff points are. Absolutely, absolutely. It takes him from being, uh, you know, at risk at the cut line uh, to being up uh, those three spots, uh, which is going to be really important. Um, now, Jeremy Clements, uh, Myatt Snyder, Alex LeBay, uh, those guys are all below the cutoff line. They need a win if they want to get into the playoffs. And then, of course, that would bounce. Uh, if somebody below that cutoff line wins, that would bounce Brandon Brown out of the playoffs. It most certainly would. Uh, I don't see, I'm trying to look here, 88 mathematically 49 points is the difference between Brandon Brown and Jeremy Clements. Uh, It's one of those, I think mathematically, if Jeremy Clements were to win the race, pick up stage points in all of them, Brandon Brown not and finish dead last would be really tight. So again, the, the whole mathematical thing, it's possible he could point his way in under the extreme right conditions, but 
the odds on that are probably in the multi-million to one. So he's pretty much <laughs> looking for a win. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, we've got ourselves a little bit ahead here, Jay. So um, I, I do have some post-race audio uh, from the race winner. We can listen to the Xfinity Series race winner, or we can go back to the Truck Series. Uh, let's see, Friday we could listen to Justin Algauer on Saturday. Uh, why don't we start with that? Okay, this is Justin Algauer. Uh, after sweeping uh, the weekend at uh, Richmond Raceway this weekend from the number seven Brant Chevrolet with Junior Motorsports. All right, Justin, you can hear me okay? Yep, loud and clear. Awesome. Well, it's good to see you back here again. We we discussed this last evening, so um, congratulations on the win. And um, can you just talk us through anything that was different or, um, you know, kind of how are you feeling sweeping the weekend? Yeah, you know, it, it, first of all, it's good to be back and, and see all y'all. Uh, I assume smiling faces. I can't tell because the masks are most everybody. But, uh, you know, to, to come to a place that I, I really enjoy coming to, you know, Richmond has been a place that I've I've had some really good runs at and. And as I talked about last night, it just seems like they never seem to come to fruition. You know, something happens, late race restarts, whatever. I, I honestly thought the day was going to be much the same, you know, with the the restart we had with – I ended up being, I think, 13 to go. But, you know, today I thought played out completely different. You know, we were one set shorter on tires. And I think that, you know, when the competition caution come out, we knew that there was going to be some movers and shakers, but we didn't know how it was going to play out. But the, the biggest difference for me was when the caution came out with 10 to go or so in the stage – and, and Jason Burdett made a perfect call to uh, to stay on the racetrack, to to keep the the laps off of our tires, and, and really put us in better position for that longer run that we had um, right there after at the end of at the end of uh, the stage there. So just proud of our guys. You know they they, they built such a fantastic race car. Um, our Camaros have been fast week in and week out. We just not had the the finishes to show for it. And, and tonight to be able to do that was was really cool. And and, and furthermore, you know. Uh, this this name on my chest is is more than just a brand that sponsors a race car. Uh, brand professional agriculture has been a, a, a number one, a, a massive part of my career. But but a great friendship, um, you know, not even just with uh, Rick Brand and, and and his family, but but with the entire organization, with all the customers and what they do for the agriculture industry is truly truly uh, special. And and so to have them on board today. And to be able to go back to back, you know, that was the thing last night. Is I was so pumped to be able to get Blake Cook to victory lane and get filter time to victory lane, but then to turn that back around and, and to get uh, to get uh, Brant to victory lane today just made made the weekend that much more special. Awesome. Well, we're going to get right into questions here for Justin. Um, we're going to kick things off with Wayne. Okay, Jay. Any uh, comments there? Well, that's one. I know even in the Cup Series, the, the ties that he has to uh, Brant and the family, so. He's always thrilled, especially in, in an area where they're so prevalent. Uh, that's always great to see, and, and, and Justin is one that is super pumped about that and representing that brand. So I do love to see that, and he mentioned it, I think, three different times there. <laughs> yeah, he's he's really good at mentioning them because uh, they have been a longtime sponsor of him. Uh, Brant is right here in Illinois. He's He's from Riverton, Illinois. 
and uh, they have just been such a strong sponsor uh, for his entire career. So uh, it means a lot to Justin Algauer to be able to uh, bring home that sweep uh, victory for for his sponsor at a track like Richmond. And, uh, again, we mentioned it earlier, the fact that he's peaking at just the right time, just as the regular season is ending and the um, – Playoffs are are getting ready to begin at Bristol Motor Speedway this weekend. Um, Let's see. We've got a couple minutes here, but I'm a little bit afraid. Uh, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to default to go. Let's go ahead and get started with the Cup Series and uh, see how that goes here. Okay, the NASCAR Cup Series uh, raced at Richmond Raceway this weekend in the Federated Auto Parts 400. The race winner was Brad Kozlowski at the age of 36 in the number two Western Star Alliance Parts Ford for Team Penske with his crew chief, Jeremy Bowens. It was his 34th victory in 405 Cup Series starts, his fourth victory in 20th top 10 finish this year, which is pretty impressive. Uh, it was his second victory and 12th top 10 finish in 22 races at Richmond Raceway. Martin Truex Jr. finished second, posting his 12th top 10 finish in 29 races at Richmond. It's also his 18th top 10 finish this year. Uh, Joey Logano finished in third, posting his 13th Top 10 finish, okay, Uh, posting his 13th top 10 finish. I'm multitasking here. Um, In 23 races at Richmond, Tyler Reddick was 11th. He's the highest finishing rookie. Uh, This is his ninth victory in the Cup Series for Team Penske at Richmond Raceway. Uh, This is the ninth victory for Team Penske at Richmond Raceway. It's also the 33rd Cup Series win at Richmond Raceway for Ford and the 16th victory of the 2020 season. Now, Brad Keselowski becomes the 13th different driver to win the second race of the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. So uh, pretty interesting from that perspective as well. Let me just kind of complete the top ten here. We mentioned Joey Logano finishing in third. Austin Dillon, what a what a playoffs is he's having. He finishes fourth in the uh, race at Richmond. Chase Elliott rounds out the top ten. Then the next five are Kyle Busch finishing in sixth, Kevin Harvick in seventh, Eric Almarola finishing eighth, Alex Bowman in ninth, and Clint Boyer rounding out the top ten here at Richmond Raceway. Your thoughts, Jim? All right, and I believe – what's that? Yeah, I believe I'm back on here. I don't know what uh, what the issue you are. is tonight. I know we got some weather. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I thought you were saying I'm the issue. <laughs> oh, no, no, um, no. I'm, I'm saying you didn't know if you were on or not. I was saying you are on. <laughs> yeah. No, I had already continued, though, to wondering what the issue was when you responded with you are. I was just like, wow. <laughs> I, I realized what you meant. I, I take no offense. <laughs> Sorry. Um, we do have uh, do have some weather here in our area, so I don't know if that's what's playing into it. But, 
Going to Brad Keselowski, uh, winning again early in the playoffs, guaranteeing that lock into the next round. His uh, teammate Joey Logano in third. Those are two that we talked about. We've seen him run good and solid, but been kind of mellow leading up to the playoffs. So to see them right there, Truex, obviously he's been gaining steam over the past couple of months. I know you mentioned Austin Dillon and that I think uh, I got it down as hot topics when we get to later tonight of could he be the dark horse here or a wild card coming into these playoffs. Yep. Um, He's really been amazing. The other thing from the top 10 as a whole, I just will say this. If you're looking at a, a scoring sheet that's written down, it has a P behind these drivers for if they're in the playoffs. The top 10 were all playoff drivers. And <laughs> then it's 12th, 13th, 14th, and 17th, and uh, 21st. We had a couple that that fell a little bit further back. But out of the 16 drivers, it looks like 15 of them, 14 of them were in the top 17. So there's a reason they're the drivers in the playoffs. And, again, we talk about how tight each position is going to matter when you're talking about your competitors, at least in this round of 16, being in the top 10. Really tough to make up points at that point, uh, positions at that point. Exactly. Uh, now, it was Denny Hamlin winning that first stage, and Brad Keselowski won the second stage as well as the third stage. The margin of victory uh, between Keselowski and Martin Truex Jr. is 1.568 seconds. There were only three caution flags, Jay, uh, none for incidents. It was all scheduled uh, cautions, uh, and that was three caution flags for 21 laps. And then there were 19 lead changes among just nine drivers, which is amazing. Uh, You want to go ahead and cover the points report? All right, let me scroll down to that real quick. Now, again, they are into their – that was the second race. We're coming up on their third and final run – cutoff race here for round number one. Harvick, as he has done all season, uh, advanced by the win, but still has a 21-point lead over Denny Hamlin for that second position. Brad Keselowski, second back – sorry, third back, uh, 31 points behind, but automatically moves on with the win. Then his fourth, Joey Logano. Fifth is Martin Truex at 47 back. Austin Dillon up to the sixth position at minus 49. Seventh will be Chase Elliott. Alex Bowman, eighth. And then Kyle Busch in ninth. They are at minus 57, minus 58. Again, one point. Kyle Busch at minus 67. Here's another one. Eric Almirola and Kurt Busch. uh, Almirola got in between the Busch brothers. We've seen them uh, together all year. (laughs) Almirola in between there now, in 10th spot, they're tied at minus 78. And that takes us through 11th. 12th would be Clint Ployer at minus 82. Here's where it becomes important. 13th, 14th, 15th, and 16th. And the next race coming up here at Bristol, that's the cut line. Cole Custer. Overall, he's 90 back. Uh, Matt DiBenedetto, 107 back. I'm sorry, I missed William Byron up that one. Mm-hmm. William Byron's in 13th and would be the first one out at uh, minus 85. Cole Custer at minus 90. Matt DiBenedetto at minus 107. 
and Ryan Blaney at minus 109. Now, that is a total uh, back from the leader. Clint Boyer in 12th is at 2061. That means William Byron is three points back. Cole Custer is minus eight. Matt Benedetto and Ryan Blaney are 20-plus points back. They, again, unfortunately are looking at that dreaded win-to-move-on uh, situation that we've come to know. Yeah, that's going to be they, – they're in a must-win situation for Matt Benedetto and Ryan Blaney. Uh, Ryan Blaney just kind of dug a hole from the very first race. Uh, this first round of the playoffs have not been kind to him, uh, and this race did not help him. He was the he was the one driver uh, out of the playoff drivers that finished in that 21st position. Now, uh, Cole Custer and William Byron, uh, I'll tell you what, it kept going back and forth between Kurt Busch, Clint Boyer, William Byron and Cole Custer over who was above the cutoff line and who was below the cutoff line. The, when the race ended, it was Kurt Busch and Clint Boyer above. It was William Byron and Cole Custer below. But if you watch that throughout the race, it was back and forth all race long. So uh, definitely something to watch, uh, especially going into Bristol when it is an elimination race. Well, I look at there, we, we know Matt DiBenedetto talked about this. Uh, we listened to some of his uh, pre-race audio on Thursday. Or, uh, maybe it was on Race Hub as well, but Bristol, a good track for him. He's had some good finishes there. That is a good track for him, but he didn't want to be in that half-to-win situation, which unfortunately he pretty much is. So uh, expect to see them put everything they got into this uh, weekend's race there at Bristol. Yes, indeed, and everybody knows how Bristol goes. Sometimes people leave with their feelings hurt when that race is over, uh, and uh, I would expect that that is going to be the case when Bristol Motor Speedway's race is over uh, this weekend, especially in the Cup Series where this is an elimination race and four drivers are going to be disappointed. They certainly are, and there's going to be a couple that are sweating bullets up until that point. Again, Clint Boyer, Kurt Busch, only a few points up there. They know they still got some work ahead of them. Eric Almirola as well is tied with Kurt Busch. Okay, so, Jay, uh, we do have a little bit of time here before our NASCAR Hot Topic sound off begins. Uh, let's do a review or highlights of the uh, – fantasy game for the uh, fan for racing crew here all right well uh i did uh i haven't had a chance to actually total them into the points but when we look at the truck series that one being one of our closest they'll start there uh going into the weekend there was one point between andy and sam andy had three points sam had four so that puts them in a tie sharon uh Actually, I picked up the most with six points with the Crafton. Sharon had five. So that's going to actually bring that group with the exception of Mike. And unfortunately, uh, Mike's got that unlucky horseshoe, if you will, right now. Uh, Sheldon Creed been the driver on the with the uh, hot foot as of late. Mike got to pick first, took Sheldon Creed. He had a little bit of an off night. Still, race-wise, I believe only finished, what, 13th. 
but out of our seven picks was the lowest finishing. So unfortunately, that got him zero points. I'm uh, going to leave him a little bit behind, but as they pick, we get into the playoffs now for that series, uh, race wins in the fantasy points will wor- be worth double, so 14 points. He does have that going for him. Okay, on the Xfinity so... side, on the Xfinity side here, good news there for you, Sharon, obviously. You had Justin <laughs> Algar, so you picked up 14 points. And I know in race number one, Kyle Busch was second best, uh, only edged up two points there. Go back and take a peek of Brandon Jones where he was in race number two. Uh, Picked up a couple more points there, maybe three or four more. So able to close that up. Uh, Unfortunately there, we might be battling to get us into second position as you'll close in on me again. Andy's got a pretty insurmountable lead at this point. Again, we've got one more race here before they start their playoffs and we get the double points in our fantasy point situation. So we're going to need to take serious advantage of that, at least here in the uh, Xfinity series to try and catch Andy. And then moving up to the cup side, unfortunately here, and let me pull a couple results back up. Well, I lost that one. Um, Andy did have the uh, race winning pick at, with Brad Keselowski, so we'll pick up our 14 fantasy points as they are already in the playoffs. Myself having Kyle Busch, I'm going to lose a few points. Let me see what I had. I had a 13-point lead. I should still maintain the lead once I calculate these all in, but he's going to close in a little bit on me. And, again, this one's going to tighten up a little bit more. Again, we were the top two. Sam at 100 had Joey Logano. And, again, I mentioned – Logano finishing third. Uh, Sam's going to get a few points, but not a whole lot when we have all our picks finishing up there as well, just as they finished in the top 10. So we're kind of in the same boat as them. It's tough to make up uh, points here when out of seven drivers, I believe with the exception of one, they were all top finishes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it continues to be tight. Uh, I, I thought really <laughs> Amazed that uh, I was able to pick up so many points in the Xfinity series, uh, but uh, I needed every single one of those points, Jay, as you know. Well, like I said, I, I haven't been able to add them all in yet, but it's certainly going to close up several of the gaps, uh, and especially here as we hit once uh, the Xfinity series gets through Bristol, all three series going to be into the bonus points for us going to be extremely interesting here because like I said uh, looking at it I always want to be positive mathematically nobody has been eliminated yet okay Uh, we still have a little bit of time here Uh, let's see if we can hear from the race winner Brad Keselowski uh, after winning in his number two Western Star Alliance Parts Ford for Team Penske on Saturday night All right. Hey, Brad, are you able to hear me okay? Yeah. Sorry, everything's wet. It must have been freshly wiped. Yes, it's the cleanest um, facial uh-huh. um, All is. right, we'll take that. Um, 
Well, congratulations on another win. Um, can you kind of tell us how you feel heading into Bristol now that you kind of now that you have this win? Um, can you just kind of focus on Vegas? How are you feeling? Uh, no, I'm just going to enjoy tonight. <laughs> you know, it, it's uh, it's hard to win a cup race. These guys are really good. You know, a race like tonight, I think, easily gets sold as, ah, there weren't any wrecks, what was going on. These drivers are just good. I mean, these cars all drove so bad with that little bitty spoiler on them, a lot of horsepower. And uh, you have guys with new tires and old tires sliding around, and it's so easy to get in trouble and to wreck. And uh, these drivers are just freaking good, and they didn't do that. And to, to win a race against drivers that are this good, is uh, is pretty cool. It's uh, something I'm very proud of, and I'm going to try to soak it up. You know, he brings up a really good point, and I've been kind of saying the same thing. Uh, it just shows the talent that, of these drivers to be able to race on a track like Richmond Raceway. And like he said, uh, it was pretty slick out there. These cars were loose, and you could see them slipping and sliding on the track, and yet there were no cautions for incidents on the track at all in this Cup Series race. That's how hard it is to win a Cup Series event. So your thoughts, Jay? Yeah, I would have echoed that same thing. He was very humble. He said, you know, he was gracious. Even though, again, if you look at the stat numbers, everything else, it appears he dominated. He did have a great run, but he also knows uh, what level the other drivers, what they're putting in, you know, not just his teammates that he knows, obviously, on the, uh, from the shop, but what the other teams are putting in and how on top of your game you got to be because one little slip-up is going to cost you, especially here in the playoffs, and we've seen that with a couple drivers already, unfortunately. Yes, indeed. And uh, like we were saying, Ryan Blaney and uh, Matt DiBenedetto are in those must-win situations uh, at Bristol. Uh, Now, I know Matt, I think, had a couple of good runs at Bristol, so uh, that might be good news for him. Uh, But the nerves, can you imagine the nerves going into that race knowing uh, that you've got to try to get the very best position you can possibly get? Uh, going into it. Well, it's you know the playoffs and moving to the next round. I know you know prior to as the first time he has made the playoffs, he said you know he's on uh, house money. You still want to move on? I'm sure he's very appreciative of the position he's in, but he's a racer and he knows this is his opportunity to really shine. Uh, I'm sure him being the guy he is, he will keep his head up. But we've heard him talk about it, too. I think back to uh, Daytona 500, when you go back to the, the qualifying and whether or not you're in and out. Um, David Ruderman was always one that talked about it, having to sit there and watch whether or not you're in. So, yeah, throughout this race, and in the case of Matt DiBenedetto, knowing it's pretty much win or go, uh, go home, a little bit different mentality versus, say, if you're, if you're racing for points. A couple of these guys that it could be just a matter of where they finish or who they finish in front of, uh, you're right, and throughout the race, I'm sure there's going to be a couple of people in his ear be like, hey, you need to get by two or three more cars, or so-and-so's behind you and they're closing If They pass somebody, you're out. So uh, mm-hmm. that's going to continue not only prior to the event here, uh, but throughout the race as well for some of them. Okay. Well, we are at the bottom of the hour, and that means it is time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And joining us tonight is Mike Orzel. 
Okay, Mike. Andy was thought he might be able to be on the show tonight, but uh, he was called into work, so uh, the plans had to change there. So Andy will not be able to join us tonight. So, Mike, let's start off with you for the first hot topic. Yeah, unfortunately, it's a little bit of a follow-up on a story we covered about two or so weeks ago. Uh, there were rumors that Jermaine Racing may be having some difficulties, and uh, today Bob Pockers and Adam Stern confirmed that Geico will not be returning as a sponsor at Jermaine Racing for the 2021 season. And as a result, Jermaine Racing is officially for sale. So unfortunately, we were hoping it would go in another direction, but it looks like the future of Jermaine Racing, at least as we know it, may be in doubt. Okay, Jay. Yeah, I know we had touched on this, and again, I had concern already back when NASCAR went to no title sponsor in this uh, split uh, official sponsors or partners to them. Uh, from what I read, Geico is going away from the team sponsorship. They're going to still be involved in NASCAR as the official sponsor of them from the insurance company side. So I still have that little bit of concern. Obviously, uh, hopefully they don't exit the sport as a whole. Like I said, for this is from what I'm getting from the statements released. They want to be involved more on the NASCAR level versus the team level. Uh, it's possible, I guess, they could still go to another team, but from my understanding, it was that they were going away from the team sponsorship. Very unfortunate puts uh, that Jermaine Racing in a situation. Ty Dillon as the driver now, we know there's several driver spots available, but as far as team ownership, and I got it under, yeah, I did have that one on my list here, a um, couple different ones we've talked about and one that we haven't. We talked about Justin Marks um, starting a team, and they were looking to buy into a team or pick up a chartered team. So that's one of them. And another one, I don't know if you all recall, at the end of last year, it was already supposed to be on the track. That didn't happen. But I saw where in a couple of these teams, Levine Family Racing being one of them, that Floyd Mayweather's team, the money team, was one of the bidders. And they've been out there and, in, and showing interest as well. So that's a, a, a good sign. At least there are some possible uh, team owners that are going to come in. We've talked about a couple several that are a couple that, that again have certain money that the team money team of Floyd Mayweather, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He is actually a very smart financial person. So I, I kind of have my hopes set on that, whether it be a, a new team or in this case, buying the Jermaine uh, racing. And then, you know, again, with everything else we've talked about brings about a lot more questions, whether they keep the tie to RCR Richard Childress racing, which would hopefully then keep Ty Dillon there. If not, what brand do they go to, and where does that leave Ty Dillon? So a few more unknown questions, but uh, I do have hope there of, of new teams. It's sad to see Bob, uh, Bob Germain have to go this route, uh, which we talked about, but also a little excited for the future as new team owners at least do come in. Okay. Now, Adam Stern also mentions that, uh, especially with uh, uh, Bubba Wallace, saying that he is not going to be uh, returning to RPM. Uh, you know, there was talk about uh, uh, Denny Hamlin having an interest in taking part ownership in RPM. 
and and whether or not that is going to be uh, still in place with the interest in RPM or if he's going to maybe start a new team with Bubba Wallace and Jermaine Racing has a charter uh, that could really be uh, helpful for a team like Denny Hamlin's team uh, to get started with. So I think he's one of those bidders in that uh, bidding war for Jermaine Racing as well. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see where Denny Hamlin ends up. Um, and if he does start a new team, Jay, and I, I got this from uh post from Adam Stern, uh, you know, you've got – uh, we've talked about uh, Kyle Larson possibly coming back. Uh, Bubba Wallace has not announced what team he is going to for next year. It may still be with um, Denny Hamlin's team, uh, under, but not under RPM, which may, may mean that Denny Hamlin's not going uh, to go with that partnership with RPM, but uh, under his own flagship, if you will, and it could possibly be with Jermaine Racing. Mike, your thoughts? Well, there's a couple important details that are really going to kind of make or break this. The first detail is Jermaine Racing may still persist as it as it's known. But right now, the team is for sale because of lack of sponsorship. Uh, my understanding mm-hmm. is if a sponsor were to come on board with Jermaine Racing that would make them financially able to continue racing in their current form, the team would no longer be for sale. I think the sale is only predicated on the fact that they don't have a sponsor available uh, for the upcoming season. Now, the other big question on the details on this is what exactly is being offered with Jermaine Racing? Obviously, the charter is a big part of the sale, but we saw with Levine Family Racing when that team was sold, it was basically a charter and a building and some tools, and that's about it. So for a team like Spire Motorsports who bought uh, Levine Family Racing, that makes a little bit more sense. For an outside investor like Floyd Mayweather, for example, uh, if Jermaine Racing is being sold with some ready-to-race race cars, I'm not sure if it is or not, that's going to completely change the equation as far as what kind of investment or potential future owners that may attract. As far as Bubba Wallace potentially moving to Jermaine, I don't know that that would be, uh, you know, I, maybe he well, didn't wouldn't see it coming Jermaine did, anymore. But, well, sure, but I, I don't see him leaving what everyone saw was a developing and improving Richard Petty Motorsports to basically take a giant leap into uh, a pretty much a new team. I mean, not necessarily ground up because they'd be starting from Jermaine Racing, but probably 90% a ground up uh, team. Now, if the vision is, hey, we're going to build this team for the long term around Bubba Wallace, maybe that'd be a move he would want to make, but he did turn down an ownership stake in Richard Petty Motorsports in order to go and seek opportunities elsewhere. This is just me speculating, but I would be really surprised if you were to make a move, that would be lateral, if not a step backwards to a, if at best a rebuilding organization like a, re, uh, you know, a, a Jermaine racing or whatever it becomes. Okay, Jay. Well, the, the scenario you're looking at there, if you're talking about it being the race-ready cars, and again, I'm not in the uh, engineering or bodybuilding or anything else, but then you would have to think it would be remaining a Chevrolet and tied to Richard Childress Racing. Not that you can't take what they do have and turn them into Toyotas or Fords, uh, but that would take a little bit extra work. So 
if we're talking about it being Denny Hamlin, that's pretty much been tied to Toyota. Again, if it's uh, uh, Bubba Wallace, who although has left RPM, um, partnering with him again of, of a Toyota, I'm not sure, like you said, if that's the direction they'd want to go to get the uh, Chevrolet cars of Richard Childress Racing. So uh, a lot of it does play into the charter, which is very important. We saw that with Spire Motorsports and the Levine Family Racing situation. This one, I think, could come with, especially if the buyer, whoever it be, were willing to work with Childress a lot better um, and then though also a lot more expensive as far as if they're buying the race-ready cars, possibly the uh, shop and equipment that would come with it. So you're right. There are some details there that would need to be filled in on what exactly is available and at what price. Exactly. Um, Again, I got the information that I shared with you um, from – from uh, Adam Stern, he says Geico is planning to leave Jermaine Racing after 20 as part of a shift away from team sponsorship. Jermaine is for sale, as Bach Bacchus reported earlier. Expected bidders and interested groups for Jermaine include Denny Hamlin, top of the list. Uh, TMT Racing 50, that's the uh, Floyd Mayweather uh, organization, and Justin Marks, per sources. So, uh, I don't think it's too far out of the realm of possibility uh, to think uh, uh, about um, uh, Denny Hamlin possibly being interested in that. Both Denny Hamlin and Bubba Wallace are represented by Pro Sports MG agent Rod Moskowitz. So Pro Sport has been busy as it also represents Kyle Larson who is also eyeing a return to the NASCAR Cup Series for the 2021 season. So uh, I think this is a fluid situation. I think that things are changing as we speak. Uh, I would not be surprised to see Denny Hamlin go into uh, – I, I, I think he would want to stay with uh, Toyota, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for him to go to uh, another manufacturer either. So uh, especially when he's put at the top of the list of those parties that are interested. So, uh, Mike, your thoughts? I mean, kind of like we've had with every Hot Topics over the past month, we bring up something, you know, one one answer brings up a dozen more questions. Uh, the big one yep. here, obviously, is what's the, what's the future for Ty Dillon? We talk a lot about Jermaine Racing. I mean, Ty Dillon might end up being a package deal with that sale as well. I mean, his services and contract, I'm not sure what that situation is, but he's already built into the organization. The people who would most likely move to a new ownership group, they know Ty. They've been working with him for a long time, so it would be a good fit. And the other thing that Ty Dillon has been consistent with throughout his Cup Series career is he tends to take care of his equipment. Uh, He's obviously never won a Cup Series race, but he's usually running there at the end, which is really important for a team that's trying to get on their feet who maybe can't afford to rebuild a race car every weekend because the driver went out there and wrecked it. So Ty Dillon being maybe not a winning driver, but a conservative driver who's going to take care of the equipment may be a very good asset for a team that's looking to grow and save their money for growth as opposed to repairing race cars. That's a good point. Okay, uh, Jay, let's uh, move on to you for the next topic. Well, this is one that I I think we all kind of overlooked, 
but has uh, picked up a little bit of steam and had a little bit more smoke to it as of late. But Daniel Suarez is also a free agent at the end of the 2020 season. We haven't really talked about where he fit in. We've, we've talked about Larson. We've talked about Eric Jones and Bubba Wallace, and now Ty Dillon again, depending on that situation. But there, Daniel Suarez is another one that is in play, as it's been announced for sure, that he is a free agent. Okay, Mike. Yeah, it's Daniel Suarez doesn't get a whole lot of press because he's running in the 96 car and that car. They missed the Daytona 500, and he's at, you know, a top 30 car most weekends, mostly by virtue of the equipment. So he doesn't get a whole lot of attention. As far as his ability and what he would potentially bring to the table, I hate to say it, but he had an opportunity at Joe Gibbs Racing, and he had an opportunity at Stuart Haas Racing. Some of the circumstances weren't in his control. Some were, but he ended up not meeting the expectations of those teams and was let go from both of them. He's certainly a possibility, but I would definitely put him below Eric Jones or even Ty Dillon in terms of consideration for a team. He may be a good bargain pickup for a team looking for a driver, but I don't necessarily consider Daniel Suarez in contention for some of these top-level rides like I would consider uh, Eric Jones or Kyle Larson or potentially Chase Briscoe coming up from the Xfinity Series. I may be proven wrong, but that's just kind of my take on it. Yeah, I'm going to kind of take a little bit different take on it. When you think about Bubba Wallace and the market that he brings with him and why the sponsors are so big on him, um, uh, Daniel Suarez brings a lot from the Hispanic perspective and and bringing more people into the sport. So he he has some value from that perspective. Uh, You're right, he's not getting a lot of attention right now. Uh, because of, of the equipment that he's in, and, and he's not been able to really get a lot of good finishes with that equipment. But um, uh, he has said that he is interested uh, in competing competitively. So I, I would not be out of the realm of possibility for me uh, to see him move into better equipment uh, and make a move from that perspective. Uh, and like I say, he does bring some value as far as bringing new eyes into the sport. And uh, for sponsorships as well, uh, that can be a big deal. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see what happens with Daniel Suarez. I, I really hope he does get another opportunity. I think he was brought up prematurely at Joe Gibbs Racing. Um, and and that was not necessarily in his personal best interest uh, to make that move prematurely. It I would have loved to have seen Daniel Suarez race in the Xfinity Series a little bit longer uh, before making that move. But now that he has made the move, um, and, and you, you guys know this, those guys that are racing in the back marker cars, those guys are racing and putting in as much or more effort in order to get the results that they get in in that lesser equipment, if you will. Uh, so I, I think that uh, if he can get a competitive ride, I, I think we might see better results. He is a Can-Am Pro Series champion, uh, and, and we've seen him do well in the trucks in the Xfinity Series as well. So I, I think he deserves another chance. Uh, and if he can make that move into more competitive equipment, I think he'll show us that, that he can make things happen. Uh, we did see some glimmers of that uh, when he was in better equipment with Joe Gibbs Racing. So, Jay, I'm curious to know your thoughts. 
Well, and you mentioned the Xfinity Series. He was the Xfinity Series champion. And, That's right. and he, as you mentioned, I got I got to side a little bit more on the side of Sharon with this one. Yes, he was in Joe Gibbs' equipment, but he was giving a shorter window, and he got pushed in there a little bit quicker than what I think he should have as well, uh, replacing Carl Edwards, who it was, I believe, in December or January is when he announced that he wouldn't be back. So I think there was a little bit too much pressure there, a little bit too early. Yes, he had come off the Xfinity Series championship, but that was still a really early introduction to uh, stock the top stock level um, uh, racing. He was in the K and N series as a, as a champion there as well. But we know what that jump from one level to the next. And I think back to Chase Elliott, uh, William Byron, two to three years with the same team and continuing to build. And Daniel Suarez, unfortunately, for whatever the reason, has never had that opportunity. But still. Putting up numbers-wise, as Sharon mentioned, the numbers he's putting up with the equipment he's in, you can't really compare them to what Eric Jones has put up in the better equipment. Uh, Bubba Wallace, if I were to compare the two and rank them, I think Daniel Suarez ranks up there. Maybe, again, Eric Jones has the credit of the wins, so maybe put him at the top. Kyle Larson, obviously, we have to go with. He's a multi-time winner uh, wherever, if he comes back, wherever he comes back ranking him probably even above Eric Jones. But below that, you talk about Bubba Wallace, who has gone through this. Richard Petty now has been able to build year in and year out to get to where they're at. So Daniel Suarez hasn't had that opportunity. We've seen it with Matt DiBenedetto as well. So I do think that one of these step-up teams, if you will, and nothing against the Gaunt brothers, everybody knows where they're at. They know where they're at. Uh, and they talked about that when they signed Daniel Suarez in, in the efforts to take that next step. If he has the opportunity, though, to, and I look at, kind of been what I've seen is all of a sudden he's maybe the one more linked to RPM, being that Bubba Wallace is stepping uh, stepping out, at least maintain where Bubba Wallace and that team have gotten and continue to grow it. I think he will have just as good of results in that RPM number 43 uh, as what Bubba, maybe not as good as Bubba Wallace because Bubba Wallace had been there for several years. So uh, I do think he deserves an opportunity at one of these uh, upper rides. Okay, Mike. Well, we're kind of getting into the point now. There's a lot more butts floating around than there are good seats that are left vacant right now. In terms of top-tier elite-level seats that are available, really the 48 is the only one that is clear wide open right now. Uh, the 14 at Stuart Haas Racing has not been spoken for, but according to Greg Zipidelli, they'd like to at least pencil Clint Boyer back into that ride. Um, and I would be really surprised if, if Daniel Suarez would be in the running to come back to Stuart Haas Racing a year after the team let him go. So really it would be the 48 car. It wouldn't shock me to see Daniel Suarez go into the 48, but it definitely would surprise me, which brings us back down to, okay, maybe the next tier of cars. The 32 is open, uh, but there are Stuart Haas Racing affiliate, and there's a couple other drivers who are kind of penciled in in line at Stuart Haas Racing. Uh, the 43, like Jay said, is another potential landing position for him. I think we're going to get to the end of this 2020 silly season, and we, there may be some surprises about some drivers who are on the outside looking in, at least in terms of having a competitive ride for the 2021 season, and Daniel Suarez, unfortunately, might be one of them. 
Well, we'll, we'll have to kind of wait and see. Uh, I would hate to see that happen to Daniel because not a, he's also a champion in that Mexico uh, Peak Series. And, uh, you know, to have the kind of success that Daniel has had, uh, albeit he's kind of knocked on the door of getting victories there. He he has not gotten a victory in, in that uh, Cup Series, but he has had great success in the series leading up to the Cup Series. So for him to be shut out, I think, would be really a loss for NASCAR, especially with the Hispanic market that he can bring with him. So uh, I, I'm hoping the best for Daniel Suarez, and uh, I hope he does get into a more competitive ride than where he's at right now and does not get shut out. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. Uh, again, we've got a couple of new race teams that are just getting started. Uh, when you talk about Floyd Mayweather's team, uh, the possibility of Denny Hamlin starting a new team, uh, there are certainly some opportunities there as well. So, uh, Jay, I'm curious to know your final thoughts. Yeah, I, I'm still trying to get the mental thought of, of Mike's statement of there are butts, butts flying around. <laughs> um, <laughs> I saw that, too. Yeah, I, think, I heard that, too. <laughs> I think there are uh, a couple of spots. And like I said, I would have to put him up there with at least in the top four or five of maybe just not been in that right situation or given the opportunity to really grow with the team. And I, and I think he deserves that chance. Whether or not it happens, uh, we've seen it before. We talk about Daniel Hemrick uh, and a couple others. Don't always get that, but I think with what he does bring as far as the, the marketing availability uh, really could help and bolster a team. Okay, uh, Mike, it's your turn for the next hot topic. Well, I brought up one Dylan brother for the first hot topic. I'm bringing up another one for the second. Is Austin Dillon for real, or is this just kind of a flash in the pan for the three car? Okay, Jay, your thoughts? All right, yes, I also certainly had that one on the list. We talked about it earlier when we were doing the review. Uh, he's had two really good races here in the playoffs. I think it's one of those of not that they were necessarily saving everything until the playoffs, but I think they have been building, and it's the the – the fruit of their hard work is coming to fruition. We've seen it with Tyler Reddick through the season. He unfortunately didn't make it into the playoffs, but we had seen the good runs he was having. And Austin was very clear about that of, hey, I've been here longer. Why am I not where he's at? So I think we're seeing the, the, the fruit of, of the team's labor uh, come to fruition here in the playoffs and at no better time. So uh, I, I wouldn't pencil him in as a final four, but he's obviously ready to move on to the next round and show that he's there to be competitive. And if they can continue that uh, building and moving forward, uh, could really be that dark horse of the question, uh, as I asked it earlier, of the dark horse and, and where did they come from? Yeah, I think the best thing that it could ever happen to RCR was Tyler Reddick uh, because Tyler Reddick lit a fire under Austin Dillon. And uh, Austin Dillon did not want Tyler Reddick coming into that organization and performing better than he did. And so he has put his nose to the grindstone with his crew chief, and they are getting results. And I do think that they have been preparing uh, to do well in the playoffs 
and uh, we're seeing the fruit of that labor in the first two races of the playoffs for the Cup Series. I don't think this is going to be the end of it. I think uh, I think he's going to continue to run well throughout the playoffs because I think they've been planning for this. And, uh, uh, yeah, Tyler didn't make the playoffs, but he's doing very, very well. He was, he was like, uh, I think, one of the only non-playoff drivers uh, to finish. He finished 11th. So, uh, and then he finished better than Denny Hamlin. He finished better than Kurt Busch. He finished better than Cole uh, Custer, Matt Benedetto, Ryan Blaney, and William Byron. So that's not quite half, uh, but that's quite a few of the playoff uh, players and some really good players that he finished better uh, than at uh, – at uh, Richmond Raceway. So, nope, I don't think this is flesh in the pan. I think uh, Austin Dillon's been planning for this. Uh, I don't think any of us anticipated he would do as well as he's doing. Uh, but uh, he made comments uh, that he was going to make, uh, he was going to break some brackets in the playoffs this year. And uh, so I think he's the one that's least surprised of anybody at how well things are going because uh, of the planning and effort that they put into this playoff. So, Mike, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you guys where I kind of had Austin Dillon. I was expecting him to go out in the first round. He's, he's done it before. He's made it to the playoffs, and he goes out in the first round. And I kind of expected that to be the same kind of pattern. He's really surprised me. I've been on record many times. I'm not the biggest Austin Dillon fan, and I'm not buying any three gear right now. But at the same time, I'm always happy to see another car be competitive on the track. The thing that impressed me the most about Austin Dillon at Richmond this past weekend, he and Denny Hallen both got caught for speeding on the first or second pit stop sequence in that race. Austin Dillon went from the late, you know, late 20s, 25th, 27th, somewhere around there he restarted. He raced himself to, back to the front of the field and finished in the top five. Denny Hamlin didn't. And Denny Hamlin tends to run fairly well at his home track at Richmond. That's what really impressed me about Austin Dillon. I'm not ready to write him in for Phoenix yet, but barring something catastrophic, Austin Dillon is at least advancing into the next round. Okay, Jay, your follow-up. Yeah, I, th- I think you hit on it there, Sharon. It was uh, bringing Tyler Reddick in. I can't remember what race it was where we heard his in-car audio of that, of uh, being a little frustrated that they were being outrun by uh, teammate uh, uh, Tyler Reddick. So I, th- I think that did, and you're right. I mean, they said, hey, you know, we're not going to whine and point fingers. We're going to make our team better, and they have. And I'm sure they've leaned on Tyler Reddick. And there may be some things there. We, we know we've seen other teams do it of not that there wasn't an open notebook already, but, you know, this car is in the playoffs. This one isn't. We've got to help the one that is. So there might be a little bit more of, hey, you know, you guys might need this or might want to try this. This is what we did. And like I said, I know teams say they have an open notebook, but when it comes down to it, you, you're trying to help your team in this case, the number three, continue in the playoffs. There might be a little even more leeway as far as what they're sharing, I would think anyway, um, to help that team. So you pretty much now have the focus on two teams onto the one one team. And, and by that, I mean the number eight and the number three, both alter the whole organization now really trying to help the number three as they are the team in the playoffs and can make that advancement. 
Yeah, and I'd say Mike is right, too, because uh, I noticed the same thing he did, that Austin Dillon uh, made his way through the back of the pack uh, to get right back up to the front. He ended up uh, finishing uh, in fourth place. Uh, Denny Hamlin, who had that penalty the very same time that Austin Dillon had his penalty, struggled to make his way through that pack and finished in uh, uh, actually in 12th place. So uh, I think that uh, that was impressive to see uh, how well Austin Dillon did to come from the back uh, to get that fourth place finish uh, and and actually surpass Denny Hamlin, who's won uh, so many races this year. Uh, that was impressive. You you cannot deny how how impressive that was. So uh, I think Mike brings up a good point there as well. So Mike, your follow up there. Yeah, um, I think we're all impressed with Austin Dillon, and for the sake of competitiveness, if nothing else, I hope he continues to run well. At the same time, I wouldn't I don't want to get too onto the hype train with him because you mentioned William Byron. He won at Daytona two weeks ago, and everyone, oh well, the 24 cars finally won. He's here. William Byron's going to be a competitive car now. And unfortunately, through whatever circumstance, the 24 cars back to the mid-teens running position uh, for the past two races. So a couple good runs is great. But until we start seeing more consistent performances, race wins and whatnot, uh, I'm I'm, I'm hesitant to say Austin Dillon is any kind of a favorite at this point. But we'll see how he does in the next round. Uh, Bristol is traditionally an okay track for him, not the greatest. Um, but into the next round, he got a couple tracks, especially the Charlotte Roval, where Austin Dillon doesn't traditionally run very well. And I think that's going to be very telling about whether the three team has really turned a corner or if they are just kind of a flash at this point in the season. Yeah, I think of the three tracks in this round, Bristol is going to be his biggest challenge. Um, Jay, let's uh, move on to the next hot topic with you. All right. Well, this is, we haven't talked about a whole lot throughout this silly season, but has kind of uh, had more attention that given to it, and that is Ryan Priest from JTG Daughter. Hasn't exactly been performing up to great superstardom level. Uh, had a rough season. I know he's had multiple uh, last place finishes, unfortunately. That he might be out of that seat. So it does put another butt into the air as well as open up a seat. Um, at a <laughs> mid-level team, if you will. <laughs> mid-level <laughs> team um, for a driver to opt to. <laughs> okay, Mike? Hey, you know, NASCAR is all about getting the TV ratings, and if they need to put butts in the air, well, you know, you got to do what you got to <laughs> do sometimes. Um, with regard to Ryan Priest, you're right. Uh, he's kind of fallen off the radar, uh, partly because of performance, uh, either on his part or being outperformed by other drivers. Um, I think the thing he's got going for him right now is it's not like JTG has a strong developmental program, but at the same time, there's a lot of butts in the air. So if Ryan Priest does find himself out of a ride at the end of the season, like AJ Allmendinger did, um, it could be pretty easy for JTG to grab one of these pretty decent drivers, either, you know, Daniel Suarez would be another quick one that comes to mind. We spoke of him earlier where that would be a a pretty decent fit for a driver like Daniel Suarez to plug into a car that's substantially better than what he's in running in right now and give him that opportunity to see if JTG has a 
ability to produce a better result with a better driver or if Ryan Priest really is getting everything that 37 car has. I don't know that he's doing substantially better or worse than Chris Buescher did in the car, but I don't think it's easy to, to, to deny that the results just simply aren't there for whatever reason. You know, uh, I think Ryan Priest falls into the category of one of those drivers that moved into the Cup Series a little bit prematurely. I would love to see Ryan Priest come back and race for a championship in the Xfinity Series should the opportunity present itself, or even come back to the Truck Series if if he would be so inclined to do so. Um, uh, And I I wouldn't see anything negative to that either uh, if he were to come into the Xfinity or the the Truck Series and run for a championship there. I know that these guys are anxious to get into the Cup Series. They take that opportunity if the opportunity presents itself, but sometimes it's just not the right move. And uh, Justin Algar is a prime example of that. He ran in back markers for how many years, uh, came into the Xfinity Series, and has thrived in the Xfinity Series. And I think Ryan Priest is one of those guys that could do that. So I'd love to see Ryan Priest come back to at least the Xfinity Series, if not the Truck Series, and run for a championship. Uh, so your thoughts, Jay? Well, and I don't want this to go against either a team or a driver, but we've we've talked exactly. about um, Daniel Suarez, okay? In the Xfinity Series, he was driving with Joe Gibbs Racing. We talked about him moving up a little bit early. Ryan Priest had limited starts, never never ran a full season in the Xfinity Series, had limited starts in Joe Gibbs' equipment, okay? Had some great finishes. Does that mean he's a great driver or is it the car? Choosing to want to move up to the cup level, the Joe Gibbs Racing and other Toyotas weren't available, opted to go to JTG, who was on the rise and building, um, looked like a good opportunity. But do we get a true evaluation then? It, if the results are lacking now, is it the driver or is it the team? Now, that team has shown they're willing to go out and get it. And I know Mike might disagree with this, but a top winning driver in Ricky Stenhouse. So when I look at him, just to mention there, you were comparing Chris Buescher to him. Chris Buescher and Stenhouse are the two that swapped. So Priest was in the car that A.J. Allmendinger was in. So you have to go back and compare those two as far as direct driver to driver in that particular car. But I think that's one of those of it's kind of a half and half situation. We don't know if he's a good driver and and was in a bad car or if he was a not great driver in a good car coming out of the Xfinity series. So more seat time, whether it be in the Xfinity or trucks, certainly wouldn't hurt him. And, and if he goes back to winning, you know, especially with a, with an organization that that might open more doors to make a return to the Cup, as we talk about the drivers that are available we'll we'll get away from the butts for a minute the drivers that are available and the number of seats there are some of these that are going to have to unfortunately look elsewhere um to the xfinity or trucks which i I agree with you sharon isn't necessarily a bad thing Um, but but that brings up a big question of if you're winning or performing very well at the trucks or xfinity's are you better off continuing that winning in those series or moving up to the cup level and being mediocre in a building team? You know, I'm not going to say a bad team in a building team, but not, or not a front running team 
just to be in the Cup Series. You know, we talk about Ross Chastain. He's run some races with Spire Motorsports, same as Justin Haley. And, yeah, Haley did get the win um, due to circumstances. They were running good, but, uh, you know, plate or uh, super speedway racing tends to lend itself to that if anything can happen. So, you know, that's, that's a question that's a tough one to answer. Of Do you get into the Cup Series in a, in a mediocre ride just to be there? Or do you take a top ride in the Xfinity and Truck Series and really build your your own personal knowledge and, and racing ability uh, and wait for that opportunity? Okay, Mike, your follow-up? Yeah, there's really no doubt that Ryan Priest is a good race car driver. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty confident that I couldn't get into a Joe Gibbs Racing Xfinity car, especially without having run with the team pretty much ever, and go win races like Ryan Priest was able to. And he was also a very accomplished modified driver before he tried to break into the uh, the, mm-hmm. the NASCAR, well, stock car level. Um, so I don't I, – it's, obviously there's a lot of combination going on here, and, and, and we don't even know all the details as far as what is causing the results that they are. Um, but, you know, it, it's hard to take away from Ryan Priest because you're right. How much of it is opportunity? How much of it is he got moved up too soon? It's really tough to say. Um, I'm sure if he went to, into a top-level Xfinity car, whether Joe Gibbs Racing, RCR, or so, you know one of the other top Xfinity programs, I would not be surprised to see Ryan Priest be a championship contender as soon as he got into that car. Um, at the cup level, I agree. I, he probably got moved into the cup level prematurely, but at the same time, that was one of those seasons where there wasn't a whole lot of unspoken for talent out there available to make a good fit, especially for a team like JTG, which probably does not bring the offer to the table that somebody like Hendrick Motorsports would and might cause a top-tier driver to hold out instead of taking a ride uh, at a team like JTG. So I don't know. I don't want to call it one way or the other. Um, maybe Ryan Priest has a future at JTG. I hope he does. But if he doesn't, hopefully he lands on his feet somewhere else. And I'm, I, I'm pretty confident he could be successful if given the right opportunity. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think Ryan Priest is a great driver. We've seen him on the track uh, have some really good success. Uh, he's a champion in the Modifieds. So uh, I, I really think uh, Ryan Priest, uh, is going to be around in racing. I hope he doesn't, uh, like we talked about with Daniel Suarez, I hope he doesn't get a door shut on him. Uh, and I hope he's not reluctant to come back to the Xfinity Series or the Truck Series and run competitively. I hope he takes advantage of an opportunity to go to either one of those series and, and race for a championship. Uh, that's the way I would look at it, and that's the way I'm hoping he looks at it as well. So, Jay, what are your final thoughts? Uh, pretty much what, what you both have said. Uh, if indeed he does have to, can't get another ride in the Cup Series, especially at a, a more competitive or equally competitive team, um, to not overlook going back to the, the Xfinity or Truck Series. But there again, we look at some of the drivers that are running part-time, Daniel Hemrick, Kaz Grala. There, there's a lot there, at least in the Xfinity mm-hmm. side, um, already in part-time rides that are trying to do the same thing, get a full-time ride there, move back into the Cup Series when we talk about Dan, Daniel Hemrick. So uh, competition's tough out there. It, it really is. So uh, hopefully he does find an opportunity to remain within the NASCAR's top three because I do believe he does have the talent. Just got to get worked into that right spot. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, what's next on your list? 
Well, I brought up a driver that we were wondering if he's for real good. This is, I mean, we know he's not bad, but what's going on with Ryan Blaney? Is Has the wheel fallen off of the uh, the 12 car, or is this just kind of a slump that's hitting at the really wrong time for the 12 team? Okay, Jay, I've got some thoughts on that, uh, but I'm curious to hear yours. I did themselves in favor by starting out with uh, with a penalty. Uh, I think they are one that they were they were hot early in the season. I think in the first four races prior to the pandemic break, I said winning or not, he was he was the top team as he was top five every week. Come back out a little bit behind, they picked it back up. He got his win. They've kind of been on the slow backslide a little bit going into the playoffs. They hit the playoffs and uh, had the penalty and and a couple other things, uh, whether it be of their own doing or not, and just haven't been on on the right path. Uh, we've talked about that. Of when it gets to the playoffs, you got to be on point, and then hope you're just a little bit better than somebody else. Whether it be one, one position, two positions, uh, pick up those couple of points, and they unfortunately have not delivered. I certainly wouldn't have been writing him out in this first round, but we're at that point. Him and Matt De Benedetto are in must-win situations, pretty much, and I don't see it happening at Bristol. Uh, although I think last week when we were talking about it, uh, didn't you point out that he was leading at Bristol and uh, lost it there, uh, Mike? So we know he runs good at Bristol. It's a maintaining it. Well, yeah, I think the past two Bristol races, he's led laps. He got wrecked from from the lead in the lead. Uh, He got wrecked at one, and I think he got wrecked again, and both accidents not of his own doing uh, while racing back through the field after losing some positions on pit road. So, yeah, he, he does run well at Bristol. Okay, um, I, I do think that uh, Ryan Blaney was kind of flying high coming into the playoffs, and yeah, a lot of people saw him as a one of the favorites going into the playoffs uh, because of how well he was doing. But that penalty killed the momentum of that team, and uh, they took the ballast out, and uh, he did not have a good run in the first race uh, at uh, Darlington. He did not have a good run at Richmond, uh, and they have struggled ever since that penalty uh, was hit with that team, um, and and uh, they have not recovered from that. Uh, so all of that momentum that he had built up just kind of it was like a lead balloon. Uh, it, it just it just sucked all the air out of that team. Uh, they're going into Bristol, as you mentioned, one of his better tracks. Uh, that's going to be revealing. He's, he's going to have to come up with a win at Bristol if he wants to get into this chase and uh, move forward uh, in contention for that championship. Uh, but that ballast uh, penalty uh, just sucked all the air out of that team. And uh, whether or not they can recover at Bristol is time, you know, it's a story yet to be told. Uh, and I can't wait to see what does happen at Bristol because uh, uh, Ryan Blaney. Uh, was flying high coming into these playoffs. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Mike, your thoughts? Well, you're right on the psychological aspect of the penalty. But remember, he's currently 25 points below the cut line. And I ain't no mathematician, but that penalty was only 10 points. So even mm-hmm. without the penalty, he'd still be well below the cut line compared to the rest of the field, assuming the same finishing positions and, and whatnot. So you give Blaney those 10 points back, and he's still not necessarily in a must-win, but must-do-well, and must hope some other guys don't do so well going into Bristol. So 
I, if the penalty had an effect on that team, it would have been more of a psychological one than a mathematical one. Uh, in terms of performance, they just, without practice and without qualifying, they're reliant on rolling off the truck fast, and the 12 car has not been fast off the truck at Darlington or at Richmond. Okay, Jay? Yeah, well, there, there's an interesting point there uh, of that, and especially when you look at, I know that the Wood Brothers aren't, a full-up Penske team, but they have a strong alliance. Two of them are on the back end, whereas two of them, especially coming off this past weekend, in the top three. So, But Joey Logano and Brad Keselowski have been through this before, so that might be part of what comes into play. I know Ryan Blaney has been in the playoffs before, um, but that comes into, into factor as well of that experience level um, as you enter into your second or third time through a series of championship battles. So that might be coming into play, especially like Mike mentioned, it's on a lot of it is on the psychological side. Well, some people are going to consider this to be blasphemy, uh, but I'm going to be real pointed here. Uh, they found that ballast uh, and he has not run well since. Uh, so yeah, there might be some psychological factor here, but how many times did he run with the ballast and it wasn't caught? Uh, and they found a way to slip it through all the inspections and everything else. Uh, how easy that is to do, I don't know. But uh, without that ballast, he has not had any success. So I think there might be something more than just psychological uh, effect here. Uh, but uh, we'll find out. Uh, with the Bristol race, uh, whether or not uh, he can kind of recover. If it is psychological, uh, whether or not he can recover. But look at the momentum he had going into that race, into the playoffs. Uh, And with that kind of momentum, even if they unintentionally left the ballast in there, as they claim to have done, um, they should be running better than what they've been running. So I think that there's something more than just a psychological effect to that. So, Mike, your follow-up. Well, you, you kind of uh, opened a, a can of worms on that one. I, I firmly believe that all of these teams strictly and closely follow the rule book and certainly would never try and do something that would give themselves an unfair advantage over their competitors, especially outside of the rule book. Um, but with that said, maybe there's some shenanigans going on and maybe the shenanigans uh, worked against them in this round. I don't know. Um, you remember back a couple of the two seasons ago where we had the collapsing rear roofs, especially on the four car. And when NASCAR started cracking down on it, we saw some cars not run as well as they did previously. Mm-hmm. So who knows? Maybe there was something that was going on uh, with the 12 car. If it, if it wasn't ballast, maybe something else. And now that has been, um, removed from them and they're not able to produce the results. I don't know. I'm not sitting in the tech line. Um, but I do know that if a team has a infraction of some kind, usually that leads to a little bit more scrutiny on that car and on that team until maybe the next hot topic comes along. And now that the, the inspectors are looking elsewhere. So maybe the 12 car is having uh, issues going through tech to the point where they're not able to slip something past that Otherwise was giving them an advantage previously. I don't know. All speculation. Absolutely, speculation there. Okay, Jay, what's next on your list? 
another one here, going back to another uh, driver and open ride, uh, seems to be a little bit of momentum to the fact of uh, Larson possibly going to Hendrick Motorsports in the number 48. Uh, and the only thing I'll preface that with before you guys give your takes, that is a Chevrolet <laughs> team. Yeah, that's pretty interesting, Mike. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I like Jay said, the big sticking point on that is the fact that it's a Chevrolet team. Um, when this whole Larson deal kicked off in April, Chevrolet very explicitly and publicly cut ties with Kyle Larson. Um, it wasn't said, it was not a, we will never do business with him again, but it was a very clear, we are not doing business with him right now. Um, I don't know that they would be that quick to jump back on board with Kyle Larson. Uh, maybe they will, maybe they won't, but it, it, in terms of saving face, I don't know. On the other hand, though, winning is really important in racing, and Kyle Larson is a winner. We saw what Kyle Larson has done on the dirt track since leaving uh, NASCAR Cup racing, and Kyle Larson's ability to drive a race car and win in a race car, including at the cup level, is beyond dispute. So it may be a case where winning becomes a little bit more important than even saving face in terms of a PR standpoint. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm hearing you there, and I, I really agree with you. But here's the thing. I wish <laughs> that Chevrolet would kind of come out and say something to the effect of, uh, you know, we see that Kyle Larson has taken the sensitivity training. Uh, we know that he has an interest in returning back to uh, NASCAR, and we would be in support of that in light of the fact that he has gone through that sensitivity training. But we're not hearing that from Chevrolet. So that is what is leaving me just a little bit skeptical of him coming back to a Chevrolet team. Uh, now, does that mean that it couldn't happen? No. Uh, it, it's still a possibility. Uh, it's just that it leaves me kind of scratching my head as to why Chevrolet wouldn't come out with some kind of a statement like that, given that they were so strong in the statement that they gave uh, when he was leaving uh, NASCAR uh, and and taking that support away from him in such a public way and in such a strong public state with such a strong public statement. Um, uh, I wish they would come out and, and give some indication of where they are with uh, the possibility of Kyle Larson coming back, but they're not doing that. So, uh, again, it just leaves me scratching my head, and uh, I guess it puts another butt up in the, in the air as to what might possibly happen there. Uh, I'm not putting it out of the realm of possibility. I, I just am skeptical. I think is just the best way of putting that. Jay, your thoughts? Yeah, this is one I see as as really highly unlikely, but uh, could be the surprise of the season. One of the things we talk about it being the Chevrolet. Uh, the the couple of things I did re- read is that Chevrolet cut personal ties with him. If it is a team that is a Chevrolet, uh, Hendrick has a little bit more pull than what Ganassi does, having a four car team as well as a championship four car team. So if he were to decide and go to Chevrolet and say, hey, I want to give this guy his second chance, he might have a little bit more weight to throw around uh, to Chevrolet to help convince them to give him that opportunity. Um, 
than what Chip Ganassi did. And, and with that, honestly, if Chevrolet were to soften their stance, it's possible he could return to the number 42. The problem there was there was also the sponsorship deals from McDonald's and a couple others that mm-hmm. also wanted away from him. So I think that kind of tied into what Chip Ganassi had to do. But the additional factor here that really put it on the uh, the list of doubtful for me, and this goes back to a, a, a bet Mike and I have, and I'd have to go back and research it of now what drivers were down. Because I think I win the bet because you had Brad Keselowski and I got five drivers, and it's not Keselowski. So I think I win. Or it might be a push if one of my drivers wasn't it. But I'd have to do some serious <laughs> research back in our messenger to find that. Um, but, oh, don't worry. Uh, Larson going, I'm, I'm looking for it right now. Yeah, I know, I know you had it screenshotted, but um, I know I at least didn't lose to you. I'll put it that way, because Brad Keselowski is not going in the car, so I didn't lose. I might not have won, but I didn't lose. Um, Larson going into Hendrick Motorsports, my biggest hurdle that I think w- was there, that at least in my mind, is Hendrick allowing outside racing, which just hasn't been a, been a, fit, with, been a fit for his driver's when it comes to that, and I go back to Casey Kane, that's why I really did have him almost in black permanent marker into Stuart Haas racing because knowing Stuart had put up with the flack he got from the media or anything else and his, his drive for attention, his willing to back an outside interest driver like that, I, I really had, had 100% belief in that. And, and we haven't seen that come to fruition. Again, it's not outside elimination yet but the the opportunity is kind of closed so i know larson is a top driver and many teams would certainly want to look at him um but hendrick motorsports i just from a couple of different perspectives doesn't seem like the right fit for him other than you have a race winner has come close to making it into the uh, final round of the playoffs has won um that obviously is enticing so Again, it's it, the possibility is there, but I still kind of have it as doubtful. Oh, okay. All right, you ready for the rundown on the bet? All right, All here's right, the bet. You have Gregson, Chastain, Matt DiBenedetto, Larson, and Allgaier. I have Brad Keselowski, and the rest of the field is a push. So all of your butts are still in the air. Um, I'm the only guy who's <laughs> out here. So the best we can hope for is a push. Um, as far no, as that's what you're hoping. Oh yeah, you're. No, yeah. Well, I, I think I might. I might still have the winner, as we talked about. Matt B. Matt DiBenedetto might be the uh, the wild card. He's he's still in play. That's for sure. I don't know. I'm I'm going to go to sleep tonight. I'll put it that way. I'm I'm fairly <laughs> confident in it. But either way, um, as far as the Larson deal. Um, The thing that's really surprised me is how silent NASCAR has been regarding his reinstatement. Um, We had kind of come to the conclusion, yeah, he's going to, he needs to complete the sensitivity training. That box has been checked. He needs to request reinstatement. My understanding is that box has also been checked and was done about a month ago at this point. And we really haven't heard anything one way or the other regarding Larson's reinstatement. Uh, I'm not sure whether it's just NASCAR has other things to worry about, um, but as far as Larson getting reinstated, it sounds like that might not be as foregone of a conclusion as we kind of assumed it would be once Larson completed the stated requirements that needed to be done. I'm going to respectfully disagree on that because NASCAR has said from the beginning uh, if, uh, if, that if 
Larson completed the sensitivity training, that they would welcome him back. I think the hang-up is not NASCAR. I think the hang-up are the sponsors. Uh, He's got to have the sponsors. Now, the one thing I I will tend to disagree also with Jay here just a little bit. I don't think uh, Rick Hendrick has uh, more pull with Chevrolet because I think Chip Ganassi not only has the Chevrolet teams in NASCAR, he's got Chevrolet teams in other series like IndyCar. So I I think that Chip Ganassi would have just as much influence with Chevrolet as uh, Rick Hendrick, uh, if not more. Uh, but I will say the one, and I agree with what you said, though, about uh, him being uh, understanding of racing in the other series. Uh, I do see Rick Hendrick being less um, supportive of that than, say, Tony Stewart would be at Stewart Haas Racing. Um, the one thing that Hendrick has going for them uh, and it might be the deciding factor if Kyle Larson were to go to Hendrick, is they have sponsorship. That's the one thing that Kyle Larson is missing right now. And I think that is the only hang-up with him being reinstated back into NASCAR. I don't think NASCAR is holding it up. I think it's the sponsorship. If Hendrick Motorsports could give him sponsorship, uh, that could be a deciding factor for Kyle Larson going to that organization and maybe giving up a little bit in order to come back to NASCAR. So just just some uh, kind of flow of uh, stream thinking, if you will. Jay, what are your final comments? Yeah, like I said, I mean, it certainly is a possibility, and, and it might be something that if this is what Kyle Larson wants, which he has indicated he certainly does want to come back, um, he might have to give up that, that dirt track racing, um, or at least cut back on it, if you will. So it'll be interesting to see. That's just one of those that I don't, other than early in the season when it first happened, I know the 48 available, he was a driver that was available, we did talk about, but really wasn't a highly highly anticipated thing um i'm, hey, I'm, st- I'm still just blown away yep go ahead i'm gonna go go ahead and interrupt you it's that time of the night that uh i do kind of a uh public service announcement here if you will in case there's any list- new listeners tuning in tonight uh i just want to let you know we will go off the air at exactly 10:30 p.m. eastern time however we do continue recording the rest of the conversation so if you've listened to us uh on the live broadcast you can uh go out and listen on the podcast just fast forward to the 2 hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation i go out on twitter and let folks know when that podcast does become available as soon as we get finished uh, with our conversation here. And then at that point, you can just fast forward to that two-hour mark. Um, For those that are listening to the podcast, it's pretty seamless. You just listen straight through. Uh, But in case we have some first-time listeners, we like to just kind of give you the heads up that we're going to go off the air at 10.30 p.m. Eastern on the mark. Okay, uh, and in case we do go off the air midstream, that recording continues to on uh, for the rest of our conversation here. So with that, uh, Jay, go ahead and finish up your thoughts. I'm sorry for the interruption. 
I, again, should have been watching the time and expected it. But uh, like I said, it, it's certainly possible, um, but I, I, I just don't see it as really likely. Uh, my, my whole thing here, and you talked about Chevrolet being uh, silent on Larson or, or not coming forward something. We really haven't heard a whole lot out of Hendrick Motorsports about the replacement for the number 48, and that's that's <laughs> yeah. kind of spooky to me. Uh, so I, I just don't see it as they were waiting for Larson to become available. I think they kind of had a plan. They just didn't want to announce it. And that with Mike aside, uh, I'm kind of right now under the belief it might be somebody that's in the playoffs and they're waiting to see how this first round shakes out, if not maybe even another round. Some interesting thoughts there. Again, a lot of butts up in the air. Mike, your thoughts. Or your next topic. Uh, Well, if we're moving on to our next topic, unfortunately, I'm kind of spent. Uh, I brought up the ones that I've got. Uh, We could potentially talk about the truck series if you want. We had uh, Grant Ensinger work his way back into victory lane with a 1-2-3 Thor Sport finish. And the real sticky one on this one is what's going on with Johnny Sauter? You don't really get a much clearer indication that, that the team is doing well, but then you have one outlier in the 13 truck that has just been way off. So what's going on with them? Okay, Jay, your thoughts. Lee, I think uh, Johnny Sauter is carrying the 2020 banner. Uh, you know, it just nothing is going right for him. They've had some good runs, and it just come apart. It's one of those that maybe it's a quicksand deal. The more you struggle and fight it, the, the worse it gets. Uh, I can't explain it other than he is representative of 2020 because it just has not gone his way. And I know the team, like Mike said, the team is 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 on point as far as his teammates. Uh, Johnny Sauter is a championship driver, and they've been clicking and been together for years, so it's not like it's a new team. Uh, I, that's my only answer is 2020. Him and 2020 are walking hand in hand. Yeah, I was kind of scratching my head uh, at the close of last season because he missed – he was out in the first round last season uh, unexpectedly uh, because it was an Ilmore engine that blew up, and they came back into this season with an Ilmore engine again. And I was scratching my head then saying, why would they come back with an Ilmore engine? Uh, and and that engine does not work well for Johnny Sauter. It might be working well for the other tour sport drivers, but Johnny Sauter should not be driving an Ilmore engine because he and Ilmore do not seem to click. Um, and he's had a lot of this has been uh, uh, mechanical failures. So there's something going on within that team uh, that is not working well for Johnny Sauter. Uh, and uh, to see the other three Thor Sport teams – uh, running well and Johnny Sauter not running so well uh, just makes me think that that I, I pinpoint it to the Elmore engine and not being a compatible thing for Johnny Sauter for whatever reason uh, and, and that may or may not be it but that seems to be the thread for me uh, and the thing that I've noticed uh, going back to last season when he didn't uh, make it through the first round uh, because of mechanical failure, I, I just think uh, they've got to they've got to figure out what it is. 
uh, and uh, get Johnny Sauter back on the right track here, or he's going to have to go to another team uh, because uh, that uh, engine does not work for him. Your thoughts? Yeah, Jay kind of touched on it. I think there's there's probably a little bit of psychology in play here. Um, Bad runs tend to produce more bad runs just because it's real easy to get into kind of that negative feedback loop. Uh, I don't think you'll be able to play any of the audio over the air, but uh, Johnny was pretty animated on the radio regarding the team's Mm -hmm. uh, misfortune at this past race. Um, And that kind of shows that, yeah, this – performance is getting to Johnny and a lot of drivers are really good at compartmentalizing things, but even the guy who's the best at compartmentalizing things, a, a trend that happens over and over and over again is eventually going to eat on the very best guy. And I think at this point with Johnny Sauter, it is just, it's eating on him to the point where that's further causing negative results for the team. Okay, Jay. Well, I was going to actually have to switch over and agree with Sharon. So Mike's going to agree with me. I'm going to agree with Sharon. I don't know if Sharon's agreeing with Mike, but we'll go full (laughs) circle here. I do remember uh, having that discussion reference the engine, so uh, that certainly is a possibility. Uh, Again, hopefully uh, they get over this, maybe pick up a win here in the final races because you hate to see anybody, especially a champion. You know, we talk about Jimmy Johnson, where he's been, getting back to where he wants to retire and, and, and finish on a high note. Johnny Sauter, certainly uh, a championship-level driver, just having that bad year, uh, and beyond a bad year, if you ask me. Yeah, I agree. And, I, and when you talk about his his thoughts over the radio, uh, I, I think anybody in his position would probably have the same kind of thoughts. Uh, at this stage of uh, the season and and with the succession of issues that he's had. It's probably a combination of those things, uh, both psychological and mechanical, Uh, but there's something within his specific team that's not going right because you can't have the other three drivers doing as well as they're doing uh, and, and his team not. Uh, without there being something a little bit more specific going on within his specific team. So um, let, I'm, uh, I'll just kind of put it uh, uh, accountable for a little bit of both, okay? <laughs> Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm, I don't know that I'm necessarily going to agree that it's in, incompatibility between Johnny Sauter and the Elmore engines. Uh, from a driver's standpoint, I'm not a professional driver, as most people know, but I can't imagine the uh, the engine that's under the hood is that big of a difference in terms of, you know, what the driver sees. You know, driver pushes the pedal, the truck goes. So unless he's afraid that if he pushes the truck too hard, he's going to have another engine failure, I don't know how an incompatibility with the engine would lead to the persistent bad performance that we've seen from that team. Well, it's something within that team that's not clicking. <laughs> so... Okay, so uh, let's – Jay, what what else did you have on your list? Well, as we were going through them, unfortunately, uh, I do have two left on the list, but they are not particularly good ones. Um, but <laughs> as people that cover the sport, it is our job to do so. So I'm going to read something here. It's been put up on jayski.com as out there in several other locations from September 10th. NASCAR announced that Mike Wallace has been indefinitely suspended Mm. for violation of behavioral sections 12.1, 12.8, 12.8.1.E 
The penalty is indefinite suspension, and Wallace must perform sensitivity training as directed by NASCAR. Per the rule book, member actions that could result in a fine or indefinite suspension or termination include public statement and or communication that criticizes, ridicules, or otherwise disparages another person based upon that person's race, color, creed, national origin, gender, sexual orientation, marital status, religion, age, or handicapped uh, handicapped condition. And with that, I have seen some other things. Um, his timeline on, I believe this was a post on Facebook, include a lot of political as well as gun-related issues. The, the post apparently has been removed, so I can't even specifically say what it was about. But he has also now opted to change his status as to former NASCAR driver as well as uh, responded with something saying that other driver, specifically Bubba Wallace, was allowed to post about political things and he wasn't. So uh, he apparently appears to be standing by his guns, literally, with whatever he posted. Okay, Mike. Yeah, I've probably seen the same kind of screenshots that Jay has seen attributed to Mike Wallace. I, I don't know for sure that that's exactly what Wallace posted, um, I did not see anything that specifically attacked another driver or another person. Um, so as far as this, the quotation of the rule book where it was demeaning another person, I don't know. My bigger problem with that is I, I kind of half agree with Mike Wallace in terms of it's difficult to pick favorites when it comes to expressing political beliefs. Um, and unfortunately, it seems like that has kind of become the thing this year where certain political speech on one side of a topic is allowed and encouraged and other political speech in opposition is automatically wrong. And not only is it considered wrong from an ideological standpoint, but it is punishable in this case with an indefinite suspension that may end up having ended Mike Wallace's NASCAR career. And I'm kind of concerned by that. Well, I'm going to once again, respectfully disagree. Um, I, I think that the comments that Mike Wallace made on Twitter were disparaging of another individual uh, based on race <laughs> and politics. So I, I, it's possible that Bubba Wallace has put something out there that has been disparaging to an individual, uh, a race or whatever. I've not seen it. Uh, so I don't see where any – the, uh, what I've seen, I have not seen any disparaging remarks from Bubba Wallace. Uh, I have seen disparaging remarks from Mike Wallace, and that's why he was suspended. So to me, that's the difference. Um, and uh, if you if you do make comments that are disparaging of another individual based on race, creed, sex, uh, that's not permissible. Uh, and should not be permissible. Uh, if you know of a situation where Bubba Wallace has posted something that is disparaging, uh, then, you know, correct me and let me know what that was. Uh, but uh, to me, th there was a huge difference there. And, you know, if you talk about it in the broader term, uh, has he made political comments? Yes, he has. Has they, have they been disparaging? Not to my knowledge. Um, you guys know my stance on this. I don't think politics belongs in sports. Uh, that's the way 
I was trained as a Recreation and Parks Administration uh, uh, background, and uh, sports should be part of recreation, which is recreating oneself and taking yourself away from uh, those types of uh, kind of controversial subjects. So uh, that's just the way I look at it, and uh, I know that there are varying perspectives here, but to me, politics have no place in sports. So, Jay, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Well, again, seen any of the specific, the one that apparently was one specific one, I did not see it. I do not know what it specifically contained. Uh, if it was something that was such, I do believe it is wrong and, yes, should be suspended uh, and go through the training as required. The thing that concerns me is the fact that then, you know, Kyle Larson, I go back to that, he said, hey, I made a mistake. I did it. I was wrong. I will mm-hmm. take the penalty and do what I got to do. Mike Wallace instead started, tried to turn it around and, and point the finger and, and then you know, try and say, hey, he's doing it too, which that's where I have the bigger issue. Uh, if if you make a mistake, and, and I'm one, as with Kyle Larson and A.J. Allmendinger, who had a DUI, all of these things, understand mistakes happen. We all make them. Man up, accept it, and move on. Don't, don't try and run away from it or point the finger and, and create more by doing what he's doing. That's where I have the disagreement. And, again, I, I can't say anything specific because I did not see it, whether or not I agree with it. Um, but, again, if it is something that is attacking, uh, I will say this. As Sharon mentioned, what Bubba Wallace has put out there, political and otherwise, he said, hey, I disagree with this, and I think things need to change. He did not attack or disparage them. He said, I disagree with it. I think we need to go in a different direction. Okay. Mike. Follow up. Yeah, obviously it's a really sensitive subject. Uh, I agree with Jay in that I don't think Mike Wallace handled the fallout from the situation very well at all. Um, as far as the specifics of what was said, um, I can only go on what I've seen personally. I, I may have missed something that you've seen, Sharon. So if you've seen something that I haven't, you know, that, that is what it is. Um, but as far as what I have seen attributed to Mike Wallace, I saw some stuff that was controversial by any measure. But I didn't see anything that crossed the line into actually attacking an individual or even a group. Um, That's a matter of opinion, I guess, on my part. And obviously my opinion differs from the sanctioning body. But I wholeheartedly agree with your position that that politics has no part in sports. Um, People watch sports in part to escape from, you know, for lack of a better way to describe it, the real world. Um, Sports is an outlet to get away from some of that. And when you try and merge things that people are going to inherently disagree on, subject matter like that, controversial, non-sports-related stuff, you're opening the door to having arguments about something that's completely unrelated to what you should be talking about, in this case, racing cars. And that's mm-hmm. the bigger concern. And I think that it, that is probably a regrettable misstep in that we've allowed that political poison to creep into what should be a neutral, apolitical environment, and it's almost a Pandora's box that's going to be very difficult to close at this point, and I think we're worse off for it. I couldn't agree more. (laughs) 
Uh, I did see a post that was disparaging to um, Joe Biden's uh, pre- uh, vice presidential candidate and uh, or vice presidential running mate, I should say. Uh, and it was not complimentary. And uh, I I feel like uh, he probably could have handled that comment a lot differently. Um, so that's about as specific as I'm going to be. Uh, but uh, I think that's the comment that NASCAR took offense to, and uh, felt was very, felt was inappropriate. Uh, and I couldn't agree with you more. This is supposed to be an escape from these kinds of conversations, uh, and uh, anytime politics are brought into it, and the NASCAR driver of all people should not be making those kind of comments on the public forum. They shouldn't be. Um, And it's the disparaging comments that are are, uh, what is so offensive, I think, to uh, so many people, not just to the person that he's he's, uh, mocking or ridiculing, but... uh, to, uh, it should be offensive to everybody in my in my way of thinking. So uh, I think NASCAR made the right call. Uh, I think if if Bubba Wallace were to make those kind of comments, I think he would be pulled under the carpet as well. So uh, Mike Wallace, the, sometimes the best defense is to deflect, and that's all that Mike Wallace is doing. He's deflecting the the uh, uh you know his his own accountability in this particular situation and uh, uh it it's not the right way to handle it as you guys have pointed out so i totally agree with those comments as well so jay i'm curious to know your following your final comments yeah exactly like i said if you cross that line intentional or otherwise uh, you need to man up, accept it, and make it right. Uh, like you said, the whole de- deflection thing, I, I just don't agree with that. So uh, that even adds to that, and I guess that's a choice he has to make. So I, I have nothing more to add to that. Okay. So we're ready to move on to perhaps a final comment. You said you had two more. So what what do you have on your list? I do, and this one is a, is a rough one, but a, it has a good ending and an inspiring one, if you will, for me anyway. Uh, NASCAR Hall of Famer inductee Red Farmer is recovering at home now after being hospitalized due to COVID-19. Uh, Farmer, at age 87, was a selected member of the 2021 Hall of Fame. I'm going to hit some highlights here. He did have kidney issues before covid uh, so they're watching him really closely with that. He experienced 104-degree fever, and uh, blood pressure was over 200. His quote mm. was, felt like a truck ran over me and then drove in reverse and ran over me again. However, uh, oh, here one more. He had lost 12, pound, 12 pounds over the last few weeks. But he spent uh, several days in Birmingham Hospital. He is now at home. His 14 days of quarantine will end at the end of this week. And here's the inspiring point that I take. He says, if I can get some rest, I can go out to the Talladega short track this weekend to work on a car. Then next weekend I can drive my car and then I can drive in two races at on Talladega in early October. So uh, 87 years old, we talk about him still driving a race car. 
He said, this COVID thing's not going to get me down. I want to drive a race car. <laughs> okay, just a real quick, wait a minute. There's a Talladega short track? Uh, most certainly the Hornet's Nest. Oh, uh, dirt okay. track is uh, half half yeah half mile up from the uh, from the super speedway. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> I I didn't realize that. Okay, Mike, your follow up or your thoughts? Yeah, it's great to hear. It's great to hear that Red Farmer is doing really well. I mean, there's looking at the data regarding COVID, there's not a whole lot of risk groups where COVID poses a real danger to people. Red Farmer checks a lot of those boxes, though. He's, he's up in his 80s. Um, that's the preponderance of people who are at risk for COVID, in addition to some additional health issues that he had. So he was probably one of the higher risk groups for, uh, for COVID not going very well for him. So I'm really happy to hear that he's on the mend. And uh, I hope to see him uh, back on the racetrack here soon. Um, you know, obviously, we, we've talked at length, especially when we were talking about the Hall of Fame uh, a few months ago. Red Farmer is a very deserving uh, NASCAR Hall of Fame inductee, and uh, it's great to hear that he's doing well again. Boy, about the only thing I can say is ditto, because you hit on all the all the marks that I was thinking. Uh, I'm I'm really glad that he's recovering uh, and able to, and looking forward to, in fact, it sounds like, uh, going out and racing again some more. Uh, I know Tony Stewart is a big, big fan of Red Farmer and uh, uh, has been very supportive of him. Uh, I was happy to see him going into the NASCAR Hall of Fame for this year, and uh, uh, so I'm, that's just kind of an additional reason why I'm really happy to see him recovering uh, to be able to experience that when it happens, uh, and uh, uh, really, really happy. Uh, sad that he got COVID-19, but really, really happy to see him recovering from that and looking forward to racing again. Jay? And that, and that just tells you, if you hadn't had the opportunity to meet him or be at the racetrack around him, again, as the fans come up to talk to him, I mean, he is one of those that spends, spends the time with the fans and, and just that, that drive, whether it be about racing or anything, life, you know. I mean, he's out there, that's, that's his life, he enjoys it, living his life. And that's what I, I, I liked about it. Like I said, it, was, it does have an inspiring end to it, uh, you know. I got to sit at home for the 14 days, but I'll be be back at the track to at least work on the car and then run it again in in a couple of weeks. You know, uh, no matter what it is in your life that drives you to to enjoy it to the fullest amount uh, through age 87, uh, that's just amazing to me. That's awesome. Okay, Mike, follow up. No, that's about it. I'm just happy we get to end the show on uh, on an upper instead of the Mike Wallace downer. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, I'll ditto that comment as well. Jay? No, I got nothing else. That was my uh, final one uh, actually there for the night. So, <laughs> Okay. Well, we are at that time of the night, uh, I guess, that uh, it's time for us to say good night. So uh, we'll do our roundtable uh, closeout. Uh, Mike, we'll start with you. 
Mike Orzel on Facebook, Mike underscore Orzel on Twitter. I'm going to keep beating the drum about vote for the NASCAR most popular driver. Um, that is the one thing that fans have the most influence on. So get your votes in there for all three series, the NASCAR Cup Series, the NASCAR Xfinity Series, and the Gander Outdoors Truck Series. Remember, your vote does count twice if you share it to Facebook or Twitter. Uh, not going to tell you who to vote for. Vote for Matt DiBenedetto. Uh, really looking forward to the race. <laughs> I knew, I knew it was coming. You knew that plug was coming. Um, I, I think I've been it. on record repeatedly. I, I, uh, Bristol is one of my favorite racetracks that the series goes to. I am thrilled to see the, the all three series go to Bristol this weekend. I can't wait. I should be in the chat for the majority of them, so come check it out. Don't be afraid of us. Okay. Uh, Jay. All right. Uh, you can follow me on my Facebook, which is my name, full name, Michael Hoosman. Mopar MJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And an update for uh, this week on Thursday night. My butt will be on the couch for the uh, preview show here on Fan for Racing Blog and Radio. And then it'll be in the driver's seat of the Durango as I'm going to take a little quick vacation up to Minnesota. So my butt will be tired in case anybody wanted an update on my butt. It's not flying around. It's not going to be up in the air. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's usually, uh, I am, that's usually me and Andy. <laughs> okay. Oh, good one. <laughs> that's true. Um, okay, just to kind of clarify, Andy and uh, uh, Mike are both airline pilots. So Mike for uh, actually FedEx and Andy, uh, I think, commercial air. So uh, it's... <laughs> It's kind of ironic that we had the two airline pilots and then Jay, who was an air traffic controller. <laughs> so uh, just amazing how that all came together here at Fan for Racing. Uh, anyway, I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter and fan, uh, fan for Racing blog and radio elsewhere, including our website, fanforracing.com. We've got some articles that are coming out this week. Uh, I've got uh, uh, Mike's article on uh, William Byron, and I hope to get that published uh, sometime tomorrow. So look for that to be coming out. I know Sal is working on an article for Cole Custer, so that should be coming out sometime this week as well. And I'm working on uh, one for – well, you've got, you're working on one for Chase Elliott, right, Jay? Yes. I had a very busy weekend. I will work extremely hard to try and get that to you tomorrow. Okay, that that sounds good. And then I'm working on the one for uh, Martin Truex Jr. I'm kind of holding off because I I want to get some of these other guys out there uh, before they're no longer in the playoffs. So we're trying to get those out. Uh, so William Byron and Cole Custer are priorities at this point. Uh, but I'll definitely post Chase Elliott if you get that to me. Uh, okay, uh, and then, of course, uh, we put out uh, Sam's uh, recap today, uh, so that's out there. And then Owen has been writing about uh, the cash-in or pass-on drivers and the best and worst bets uh, for each of the playoff races. So uh, watch for that to come out this week as well. Sam is also going to be doing a piece. Uh, let's see if I can pull it up here. He wants to... Um, do a piece. Uh, I'm going to put it in his words. 
uh, he's going, after each round of the playoffs is over, he wants to do a piece covering the point standings, the sleeper picks, and predictions for the following rounds. So uh, he said, uh, not sure why, but Austin Dillon's performance early in the playoffs here has been inspiring him to do such a piece. So watch for that to be coming out from Sam Bornhorst as well. So uh, definitely looking forward to that coming out at the close of each round. So uh, uh, I believe that's it. I feel like I'm leaving something out here, but I think I've covered everybody. Uh, A big shout-out to our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate all of them for tuning in, whether it's the live broadcast or the podcast. uh, We appreciate you coming in. I do want to make a note, a programming note. Our next uh, preview show will be a podcast once again. Uh, We will do it early in the day on Thursday uh, as a podcast and then put it out because there is going to be racing uh, both in the uh, uh, Arkham Menard series as well as the truck series is racing on Thursday night. So two races on Thursday night. Uh, so watch for our podcast to come out sometime in the afternoon on Thursday uh, before those races take place. So uh, with that, I think we're ready to say good night, guys. Good night, everybody. Okay, guys, uh, looking forward to uh, the races this weekend. Take care. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.